0: Well, if, you were, uh, if you're a long-time listener to this show, or even just a short time, you'll probably realize that the way we make this show happen is a combination of advertising and donations. And I certainly hope you, you patronize our advertisers. We don't have any advertisements on Raw, but for, on Adventure Rider Radio we do. And, of course, that's the the one that carries Raw along. And what we do is, if you give $50 or more a donation, what we do every, each month is we take the names of those people that have given $50 or more, and we read them off here on Raw. It's our way of, of showing you know extreme appreciation for really sort of going above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak. So I want to give a special thanks to this group of people for this month that have really helped out with their $50 or more donation. Aaron Parks, Walter Payne, Kevin Hanaran, I think I I have that right, David Morrison, and David Owen. Thank you all. We very much appreciate it. And we certainly appreciate any donations we, we get from all of you. And quite honestly, we just couldn't do it without you. So it is very much appreciated by both Elizabeth and myself. And I'll tell you what, we had a lot of people uh, contact us in, over the past year or so mentioning about giving monthly donations. And a lot of people actually suggested Patreon, which we decided to finally sign up for this and uh, see if it works for us. So we have signed up for Patreon. You can go on there and you can just sign up for, um, you can just put a dollar a month if you want, or $2 a month or right on up, and we give different little sort of incentives for it. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the donate button. It has information in there. You want to give by PayPal or if you want to go to the the Patreon, and have a look at what we're offering there. And of course, you don't have to donate. You can still listen to all of all the episodes for free. We have, uh, have them all on our website www.adventureriderradio.com, all to download for free. My name is Jim Martin, and this is Raw for March 2017. From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, it's March 2017 and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel and anything else that crosses our minds, completely unscripted, raw and personal. I'm Jim Martin and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by our regular five Overland co-hosts starting with Shirley Hardy-Ricks. Shirley, good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: And it's, I you know it's very early for you there this morning because, although yes,
1: and look, I have to apologize. I've only been awake for about four minutes. I will brighten up as we go on.
0: You sound pretty good for only four minutes. Oh, thank you, <laughs> Brian. Good morning.
2: Yeah, good morning, Jim. Good morning, other guys. Everything's well here. Our sun's uh, coming up, but boy, it's early.
0: I'm sort of curious, Brian, when I called earlier, an hour ago, because, you know, what we did on the show is we, we decided to, to, to make it earlier, our recording for this, because Graham has done a lot of whining about the time of staying up late, so, so when I called, it appeared you were online, Brian, and then you went off, and I was wondering what the sounds were in the room, if you actually turned it off, or, or, or if what Graham suggested was your battery went dead.
2: Uh, no, well, um, I came downstairs and I uh, put the radio on. I mean, um, um, you called me, so I think all I've done is turn the radio uh, on. Uh,
0: yeah, I was, I was picturing, you know, you were you rolled over in bed and went, what the? And click it off and then heave your phone. I was wondering if you were out of phone now.
2: We
1: actually um, abide by the rule that the phones don't go into the bedroom. Oh,
0: how do you talk to each other? You don't text?
1: <laughs> no, no. You know, we have an unusual way of communicating. We actually look at each other with our eyes open and talk. It's an odd uh. thing to do, I know, but uh, it'll catch on in other areas of the community.
0: But there's things you can say over text that you just don't want to say face-to-face.
3: Yeah, plus, you can just leave it on by and that's always a plus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Grant. <laughs> Grant, you're moving rapidly on. <laughs> moving on
0: to Grant Johnson in British Columbia. Grant, good morning.
4: Good morning, Jim and everybody else. It's good to be home again. We just got in late last night from Panama.
0: Hey, you've barely got off the plane and you're uh, you're back awake oh. again.
4: Well, I got off the plane, went to bed, got up, and
0: now here I am. What was the deal in Panama? You were there for a long time.
4: Yeah, we were there for a month. Bit of a holiday, bit of a look around, see if we are, would be interested in living there. It's always a possibility, but uh, yeah, Panama has looks- lots of potential.
1: It looked beautiful, Grant. Some of the photos you were posting looked really lovely.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's the, the range. It, it, think of a normal cu- large country and squish it into one tiny, tiny little country. It's only, I forget, 800 kilometers or something from one end to the other, and you can drive from the Pacific Ocean to the Caribbean Sea in five or six hours. You know, it's, it's quite amazing. But the change in, in altitude, you get up to, I think it's 1,600 meters, down to sea level in a couple of hours. It's, it's quite incredible that the change in climate from baking hot, 40 degrees, to time to put another jumper on. It's cold up at the, up altitude. It's, it's really very interesting and lots of potential there.
2: Hmm. And really nice sounds like the the people. People s- are fantastic. Sounds like the size of an Australian backyard, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, ser- seriously. Seriously, uh, 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 there's a, a guy who's just bought out um, uh, Creek station and he's now his um, cattle station is now bigger than Switzerland.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have Sam Manicom from the UK, in the UK. Sam, good afternoon. I think it is a good evening for you.
5: Uh, it's uh, top of the evening for me um, in the UK and, uh, yeah, this week I'm at home. And i tell you what, it's really nice at the moment. Um, 14 degrees C out there, and it's evening. i tell you what, spring is really here now. We had a good long walk down by the River X yesterday evening. And it's that time of year where the green buds are on the trees and spring flowers are everywhere. And I love this time of year. I always think about um, the early spring as being a time of promise, you know. Good things are about to start.
3: And, And Graham, we have Graham Field. Graham, where are you? Uh, I'm in Bulgaria. However, tonight, I'm in a hotel room in Sofia, just so that people don't forget that I do actually travel sometimes.
0: <laughs> what are you in a hotel room? Uh, did you have a water leak or something at home? Or are you actually going somewhere?
3: Oh, yeah. be having, nice to have water i home. not in a leak. No, um, the reason is... Uh, well without getting into all medical stuff is tomorrow I go and see a, a chiropractor for the first time since my broken back operation a few weeks ago and providing she says it's okay two hours after seeing her I'm going to be on a plane flight to England for the uh, adventure overland Day at the Ace cafe so I, 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 my point is at eight o'clock in the morning so I thought you'd better to come to Sofia. Today and uh, and therefore I don't have to get up at the crack of dawn.
0: Wow! So your back is barely healed, and you're already going to be at an event. Like it was only like three uh, weeks ago or p- something.
3: Some people think I'm stupid. Imagine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was but a back is, operation. I mean, this wasn't. This is not a minor thing. This is huge. It was only a back operation. It wasn't brain surgery or anything. It was. Are you sure?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think they deleted my Bulgarian file because my teacher is infuriated. She said you were fine before your operation. you forgotten everything. <laughs> um, it's, the thing is, for seven months with the sciatica, it hurt to stand. Since the operation, it now hurts to sit. So consequently, I am wandering about standing up the whole time. And um, so the, my only concern is with a three-hour flight – I'm going to be like the like the annoying kid running up and down the aisles because I'm not going to be able to sit. I mean, the actual show isn't a, isn't a problem. It's uh, it's the and, and driving to Sofia today, two and a half hours. I keep stopping and getting out to stretch my legs. So I don't know. It all depends on what the chiropractor says. But they said carry on as normal. The thing is, my normal is heavy work, whether it's moving engines in the in and out of bikes or doing heavy work on the house or ever they say carry on as normal and don't lift that's like say i don't know carry on being a writer but don't type you know that's what i do so it's um, an interesting
0: transition though you you couldn't stand before and now you can't sit so that's a plus right because now you have mobility
3: Well, yes, I have mobility and I don't have pain. I have discomfort. And listen, I'm not going to go on and on about the operation and everything because there is nothing more boring than people going on about it. What I will say is two things. Firstly, if people don't know what I'm talking about and they are vaguely interested, I did for the first time since Lemmy died put a blog on my website about what had happened, why it happened, how it happened and what happened. I've now got six screws and two rods in the bottom of my back. Uh, which has transformed me. It's like a new lease of life. I'm born again, and I and I hope with the physio, and when it's done, and they 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 assure me that I will have 100% fitness, which is going to be incredible. After 18 months of of sort of partial disability, I'm going to be fantastic. The other thing, the thing that I really want to say, and I'll is, and I, I was absolutely overwhelmed. Uh, Sam, when I the day after the operation, Sam Manicom, I I said, do you want me to put a post on Facebook for your on your behalf? And I said, well, no. It's kind of hypocritical because firstly, I decided I was going to come off Facebook for the whole of February, so why would I come back on just for sympathy votes? And secondly, it's kind of personal, you know. I've got big bloody cut in the bottom of me back and and stuff. I'm not sure I want to make it public. Anyway, in some morphine-fueled act of Neediness. I'd said to him, "Yeah, go for it. Put something on there." Jesus Christ! I can't believe the response. It was incredible. Yeah, that must how it, how it must feel if you're popular, because oh, I got so many people through Messenger, through Facebook, through text, through phone calls, through emails, through contact, through my website, wishing me well. It was absolutely overwhelming it was i've never experienced anything like it it was i'm so grateful to everybody who did it i honestly can say that i read everyone. and um, what i hope to have done was reply to everyone but firstly i can't sit down and secondly it was just you know there used to be this show in england uh, an art show in children's television and they used to say um you say, please send your pictures to us. We can't give a prize to all those we show, but we will, um, or we can't. We can't return all those we show, but we do give a prize. And, uh, and I feel like that. You know, I was like, thank you so much, everybody. I can't reply to them all, but I really did read them all, and it was. And I just, I don't want to. Delay this introduction. We've got a very long show ahead of us. We've got some expansive topics. But just everybody who who sent well wishes, it was huge. It meant so much. It was massive. Thank you. And I am making a full recovery of so many people wished I would. So nice one. Thanks for that. And you're wide awake today
0: because we're recording so early for you. You're you're like, you're right there.
3: I wasn't even ready. I was trying to buy something on eBay and you called. So what does he want?
5: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Have you got used to standing up all the time yet, Graham?
3: Uh, I don't know about used to it. It's quite funny, when some friends around on Saturday night... And I'm having to stand the whole time. I said, "Please don't take my body language as meaning." Well, it's been lovely to see you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm doing a lot of standing.
5: <laughs> I just have this image in my mind of you standing with one elbow on the on the mantelpiece above a roaring log fire and holding forth to your guests.
3: <laughs> well, I can't even lean. I've got to stand upright. <laughs>
0: Well, we have two topics that we're going to talk about today. One is the cost of moto travel, which should be a lot of fun. The other one is, and not that this one won't be, but the other one is carrying restricted meds. And that was sort of brought up by a fellow named Gary from Memphis, who wrote us an email. And we decided to take this email and make a at least a little bit of a talk out of it because it is something that, well, Sam made a very good point when we discussed this with riders getting older, I hate to admit it, that there is a possibility of us needing to carry more prescription drugs with us. His question, Gary from Memphis, was, he says, I have a question for you and your raw friends, but first I wanted to say that I really enjoyed listening to both shows. Very cool. Um, Now the question, he says he has a couple of health issues that require him to take medication for the rest of his life, blood pressure medication and Adderall uh, for narcolepsy. So his question is, how does he get his medication while he's traveling for extended periods outside of the U.S. and Canada? you know, for traveling around the world. And he's especially interested in any sort of information about controlled substances and, and how they're handled and because that's what this Adderall apparently is, is a, a controlled substance. Um, so does anyone have experience with carrying uh, controlled substances with them?
5: Can I just make a comment oh, before anybody answers that? And that is, Gary, um, I'm totally impressed that with your um, situation, you're considering going traveling. I think that's absolutely awesome. Go for it, mate. I hope you can make it happen.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Shirley?
1: I can't see why he can't, um, Sam. I mean, we, um, being in the older bracket, travel with bucket loads of medication. That Sometimes we feel like there's like half a penny a full. But um, we can get in Australia, and I'm not sure what it's like in the US, but we can, and I think it's the same there, you can get six months at a time of your medication And um, we make sure we have a letter from our doctor explaining what the medication is and what it's for. We keep one packet with the front on it with the thing from the chemist or the pharmacist that has um, all the details of the prescription and then put all the other packets just um, with that one label so you're not carrying six months' worth of boxes of medication or put them into one big, large jar with the or larger container with the label on it. And when we were going into um, into Russia, and we were going to be there for such a long period of time, we actually got um, someone to translate the letter from our doctor into Russian. So um, it would be easier if we were stopped at the borders, in um, particularly in Uzbekistan, where they're very particular about what medication you can take in they could more easily, we imagine, find someone who could read a letter in Russian than someone who could read a letter in English from our doctor. Um, great idea. Now, I think reading Gary's um, email, I think he has medication he needs to get monthly. Not, I don't know that he can mm. buy his narcople- uh Sorry, I can't pronounce it too early in the morning. Um, medication, uh, six monthly. He may need to discuss that with... Um, medical bureau or somewhere like that in the u.s to see if he can get six months
2: well i'm on three sets of medications um um, blood pressure is one of them and uh what i did was i took six months worth in south america uh and carried that letter but i arranged for a to see a doctor when i needed one to get further prescriptions And, you know, of course you do it in the States, and as um, someone who doesn't live in the States, that is phenomenally expensive, so much so that the doctor felt sorry for me after I paid him for a greeting that um, he had a a travelling salesperson who comes through selling these medications. He went out the back and uh, bought out some free samples for me. So I only had to uh, get... Uh, two rather than three at oh, the local wow. chemist, which still cost hundreds of dollars. Yes, in we the worked States.
1: out we worked out why people have heart conditions in America. It's when they get their doctor's bill and then have to pay for their tablets.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. But um, the, the, the best thing to do, and then uh, later on, uh, I, I did the same thing in uh, the, UK. the UK, Sam. And um, um, being a, a member of the Commonwealth, who counts for NAF. I've got to say, because we had to pull f- uh, pay full rate. Um, yeah. So, um, but still, the medications were a lot cheaper when you went to the chemist. Um, but um, we did, we, we, we had friends who, um, one of our good friends, um, he goes a little, a little bit barking mad if he doesn't have his medication, <laughs> actually. And he was travelling with a few mates and they were going through the border. Uh, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. And uh, some officious border guard was going to confiscate all his medications and they have a big drum where they burn them. Uh, as they uh, come across these poor travelling Europeans. And um, his mates uh, arced up and carried on and said, um, look, if you burn that medication, we won't be able to live with him. He'll go crazy. He's mad. He's mad. <laughs> and uh, they they eventually uh, stopped the uh, border guards from burning his medication. But the thing, I think, in um, going across Russia is anything ending in INE. Yeah, like uh, codeine.
1: They don't like anything with codeine in it. Penidine, codeine, yeah. and they will they will take that and I think the same in Greece. You're not allowed mm. to have things with codeine in it. So you Is need that to just check across the border? Going.
0: Or like would you be able to replenish that supply while you're in, in the country?
1: I presume you wouldn't be able to, um, Jim, I'm not, but I'm, I'm not sure. sure. I'm not sure
5: about that. It, it's very difficult, and one of the reasons why you know I was saying um, pretty good stuff to Gary for thinking about this is that um, when you have a look and see what Adderall is, um, it's a control a controlled substance, and I think that's one of the reasons why his medical insurers will only allow him a month at a time, um, and I think that he's going to need to try and prov- if he wants to go long term travelling, he's going to need to try and find a way to to prove prove to his insurers that he is literally going to be travelling for longer and that he needs more than a month's supply at a time. And his his doctor's going to have to get behind him on that. But I think he's also going to need to have to check and see which countries will allow him to take Adderall in with him and how much. Now, each country has its own regulations, um, like Brian and Shirley were just talking about with things like codeine. But something um, like Adderall is much more complicated. And he may even need to get a certificate um, from the U.S. authorities allowing him to travel with the drug. But one of the things that cr- um, crossed my mind is, you know, if, if Gary's got these medical conditions, what's going to happen with his travel insurance? Um, surely that's going to be um, a, a really steep case. I've got a friend who's um, traveling with um, – he had a heart attack and, and so on. And he was able to get three months medication to take with him from the UK, but was told that he was going to have to top that up while he was travelling. Um, and he did find it quite expensive um, to do that. But in, in reverse, I found friends who have found generic brands of the drugs that they were taking in the countries that they've been travelling through. And they've been just shed loads cheaper than they have been in the um, first world countries. Yeah, One we, thing yeah, that that's why it's important
1: have. to have the letter, the letter, and yeah. um, explaining exactly what the medication's for and what um, what is in it, what individual Definitely. ingredients are in it, and have that in the language, have it translated by a professional translator into yeah. the language of the countries you're visiting to make it easier for the doctors and the pharmacists.
5: Yeah, and your I'm idea right, with then. the translations fantastic. I hadn't thought about that, and what makes what sense it makes. That's great.
4: Yeah, I think one of the things Um, you want to do with those translations is make sure you get them notarized because (laughs) that makes a big difference. It's official. It's got a stamp on it and and they can compare. (laughs) Um, Well, we all know about stamps at border crossings. You know, the more stamps you've got, the better. If it's got a big stamp on it from a notary, hey, it's official. It's a real thing. Um, And having just been in Panama, I want to comment that in Panama, you can go into a pharmacy and get anything you want except strong pain meds. Antibiotics and controlled substances without a prescription at all. Mm-hmm. So there's a tons of medication that we would normally, especially here in Canada, have to have a prescription for. That you just get over the counter. And mm. I it's also the same would,
1: in India. Yeah. You yeah. find a compounding pharmacist, and they will make it the if they know what what is in it. They will make it for yeah. you. So yeah. the the more detail in the letter, um, the the better.
4: Uh, The other thing I found in Panama is I had a bit of an ear issue. So I went into uh, a doctor. It was a whole $8 for a doctor visit, writing a prescription and everything. (laughs) (laughs) So that wasn't too bad. Uh, But just go into the doctor and show them your prescription, et cetera, in their language from your own doctor and say, okay, I need a renewal on this and – I would be surprised if a good doctor didn't look at it and say, okay, what are your symptoms? And they're probably going to ask you, why are you taking it? And you have to tell them as well as the doctor's letter. And I'd be willing to bet that 99% of them will write out a prescription on the spot for you with no issues.
5: Um, I've come across that as well, Grant. Um, And the other thing that is worth checking with the doctor at home is that sometimes doctors at home will actually give you um, a prescription pad with the prescriptions made out for the regular intervals that you need to have them. Um, And that sometimes can make life easier for you when you're in um, another country and you go to a pharmacist or to a um, a doctor to say, hey, this is what I need. One of the things that's worth looking at with drugs is, you know, Gary's talking about Adderall, um, but you can go online and you can find out what the generic names are for them. And that can also help you to um, to have that translated, um, as Brian and Shirley were saying. and when it's more complicated, I suppose it would probably be worth seeing if the US embassy, for example, would be willing um, under certain conditions to receive drugs. I, I've no idea. I've never tried this before, but, you know, I was just doing some some lateral thinking. And I know that some courier companies will, under certain circumstances, carry drugs, and they're quite a good way to get them into a country, but obviously the paperwork that backs up that. Um, is um, is is fairly heavy duty. And, of course, for the overlander, the key thing is, can you be in the right place at the right time when the courier is bringing stuff in? It um, starts getting complicated. Yeah. And that's a bit think of it, lateral thinking. Sorry. That was one point
2: I was going to make uh, before Sam, was that um, if Gary does travel, he really should, you know, we love to travel and just do our own thing, but he would need to... Uh, Be prepared to be in a certain spot where he knows there's good medical services, where he's likely to get his medications. So he might be able to uh, travel month to month and say, well, I need to be in this um, big city because I know I I have a fair chance of getting my medications. Or uh, do it uh, beforehand, organize it beforehand.
0: Is there there a place that you can research this to find out what countries allow what?
4: (laughs) Good luck on that one. Oh, yeah.
5: Um, yeah there, there are um, and there are various sites around for example um, there's the International Narcotics Control Board they have a website and they talk about um, all of the ins and outs and um, you can research and see which countries allow what drugs to be carried in and Gary's obviously going to have to do that you know anybody um, is going to have to do that if they're carrying something that's more unusual but that's a really good website to have a look at the International yes. Narcotics Control Board
0: you don't happen to have the website address for that?
5: I do. I'll let you have it.
0: Good. Yeah.
4: Post it for sure. I'll put it up on our website too. Yeah.
0: Nice one. Shirley? Yeah.
1: And if, if you know what countries you're going to, um, it's not a bad idea to con- uh, contact their official in the US uh, and just see what information they can provide to you. I mean, you don't mm. have to tell them who you are, but you can just say, I have these issues and I'm wondering how I can get my medication into your country. And usually you find that the people at the embassies or consulates are, are very helpful if they think that you're going to be bringing your beautiful hard-earned American cash into their, into their economy.
4: Yeah, I think, the, I think that's a really good point. my thinking, rather than shipping pills of any kind, drugs of any kind, especially drugs that are hard to get, into a country, I think that would just be a nightmare and set you up for all kinds of issues. I would say that in most countries people live there. People have these medical conditions. People are going to be prescribed something for all of these things. Um, You should be able to get it locally in in the capital city at the very least, just about every country in the world. I'd be very surprised if you couldn't.
5: You know, you you started me thinking sideways a little bit there. Um, And it occurred to me that, you know, Gary's a pretty unusual guy because... Of what he wants to do with the conditions that he's got and i was just wondering again thinking totally sideways whether there'd be a possibility to turn it into some sort of medically backed international research i mean i'm really winging it here but you know how many people with his condition would undertake a journey such as he's planning and what would the side effects of that type of journey be on his condition? And perhaps he could get specialists on his side. And there must be a network of specialists around the world who deal with this condition, perhaps turn himself into a guinea pig and um, get lots of data for these guys. And of course, that would allow him to the, the access to the doctors that Grant was talking about in all mm-hmm. the different countries. Just sure. a thought.
1: That's actually not a bad thought, Sam. <laughs>
0: yeah, the creative thinking of a traveller.
4: Yep, that's what it's all about. There's always a way. You just have to be willing to think sideways, out of the box, whatever. Just There, there is a way. You just have to think about it and, and be aware that, yeah, there's a problem. Okay, there is a solution. Now, what is it? And I think that's what uh, travelers learn after a while. There is a problem. There is a solution. What is it? I just got to figure it out.
2: I was just thinking that too. You know, doctors without borders are everywhere. Yeah. Well, surely that would be a good research point.
0: So our our second and our really our main topic for today is the cost of moto travel. It seems to be a question that comes up a lot. There's been a, a lot of inquiries that we've received about this. It's such a broad topic, and I, and I know this sort of leaves it open. It can fly all over the place. I I saw somebody you know researching for the show. I saw somebody posted is a hundred grand enough to go around the world by motorcycle, <laughs> and and then somebody else.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, woohoo! That so, would be great. Well, wow. I mean, I was
0: thinking that That'd that's nice. You think that would work? But another one was thirty grand. It's surprising, you know, how much confusion there is over the different things you have to pay for. So I thought maybe what we can do here is that we can, we can sort of make a list of things. And I know we can't come up with exact prices. That would be impossible. I think anyone understands that. But maybe give some sort of examples from your experience of the different things that you've done and the, and the costs involved with it. Does everyone see that list?
4: Yep. Got it. I was going to mention yeah. that the biggest number I've heard for a traveler... And this was 15 years ago, roughly, maybe actually probably a little bit more than that. was a quarter of a million dollars U.S.
0: Well, that might be sensible if you were taking an Overland vehicle.
4: Nope, that was on a motorcycle, two Mm. motorcycles. And um, the catch was five-star hotels were insisted on.
0: (laughs) Really, like there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I mean, if that's what you want to do and you have the money to do it, then more power to you.
4: Yeah, I think the whole thing about how much does it cost, and we hear this all the time, is totally variable on how old are you, what are you willing to put up with, what's your idea of an adequate or decent hotel, are you willing to camp, are you willing to cook your own food, do you want a five-star hotel, is sleeping underneath a, a bridge culvert good enough for you? it's like a rubber band. I mean, how far do you want it to stretch? You can make, get around the world on a quarter of a million or you can get around the world on under 10,000. I know people who've gone around the world on $500 motorcycles. When it dies, you buy another one. So what? You get to the border and they won't let you in because you don't have a car Fine, walk away from it. Buy another one as soon as you get across. How much does it cost to go around the world is an impossible question to answer because it's totally dependent on you. What are your requirements?: I will tell you How one have, thing. If however you're traveling I think with a female <laughs> oh, say, very exactly with careful. Wife, I, I know, I am being very careful here because Susan's just across the way here. If guys, if you're traveling with your wife, it's going to cost slightly more than double what you would think because she's going to want a shower slightly more often than you are, so therefore a hotel so Just be aware.
0: So that tells us one of two things. Either women are extravagant and they want extras, or they have much better noses than men.
4: Much better noses, yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, fellas, I am here. I am part of this conversation. And
4: we're aware that you have a much better nose than we do.
1: (laughs) Correct.
5: Shirley, I think you and Birgit would get on really, really well. Birgit has a good (laughs) nose for for smelly feet and that sort of stuff. But I tell you what, um, Snowline, Canada, Canada, Late October, Birgit says, I need a bath. She climbs into a river on the snow line and has a bath and then makes comments about my feet needing to go in as well.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I don't think I could do that. So that brings us back
0: to the conversation then with um, the fact we're not going to cover exact costs, but we can go through and give the areas of concern, the things that people may want to list. Now, don't bother writing out a list. We're going to post the list in the show notes so you can go to the website and have a look at the list that we've put together and the things that we're going to talk about. But do, do you guys want to take this in just the order that I have them here, or do you think there's a better order to do them in?
3: Well, I was going to say, perhaps it could be broken down by continent. Because different continents have different expenses. For example, in Africa, you've got your carne, In Eurasia, you've got visas for just about every single one of your stands. Through the Americas, you've got various border crossings, bike shipping. In Europe, everything's bloody expensive. And <laughs> it's, it's – it's, if you – I mean, everybody loves to say they're going to go around the world. But in reality, the majority – I would say the majority of people will do a trip which doesn't encompass the whole of the world, but perhaps a continent or two. So possibly it's easier or not easier, but it's there are certain costs which are specific to continents rather than across the whole world.
0: OK, I, I think that's a very good point. Um, and, and maybe what we do is we'll cover those things that are specific to those continents to begin with just in a quick way and then sort of run through the list of things that are going to be applicable to everything like your food and your lodging and all the other stuff that we have on here. I mean, I spotted on a, a fairly reputable, I would say a very reputable website here called Horizons Unlimited. Um, and it, it has the uh, the plan for the budget. <laughs> Good recovery
4: here's, there, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's, here's some some rough guidelines. So first tier countries such as, uh, and, and what I'm talking about here is um, because often people ask about how much per day, which I, I hear is a, is a common reference that, that people try and nail it down. Again, I agree uh, right off the bat. It, it, it's impossible to nail down. But here's what Horizons Unlimited has as, as sort of a, a rough outline of this. First-tier countries, such as Northern Europe, 60 to $80 a day per person, and, and it says end up. Uh, second-tier countries, the rest of Europe, Canada and the U.S., uh, $40 to $60 a day per person. Third-tier countries, such as Latin America, $30 a day per, per person. And fourth tier, uh, parts of Africa, Asia, um, can be done for less than $20 a day. And they say, especially in Asia. So that sort of gives a, at least a little idea of the difference in, like, what Graham was saying, and where you're going.
4: I think the yeah, thing to add on to that is, that's very important is that a lot of it depends on how fast you're traveling. The faster you travel, the more it's going to cost because obviously you're spending more on fuel. Uh, If you travel a full, hard, long day, at the end of the day, your odds of looking for a hotel are much higher than looking for a campsite. So therefore, it's going to cost you more. You're also going to go into a restaurant. Therefore, it's going to cost you more than going to the local market and buying some fruits and veggies and whatever off the local market at almost nothing, very, very cheap prices, and then cooking yourself. So the faster you travel and the farther you travel – it greatly increases the cost uh, per day. Uh,
3: Another thing to bear in mind is uh, all these things are are written down on various websites, but exchange rates fluctuate dramatically. It's something I am always always look at exchange rates, something I'm very interested in. And at the moment, the UK pound is at a 32-year low against the US dollar. So for all those Americans, and I mean, having lived in the States for seven or eight years, who have always said, I'd love to go to Europe. You know, it isn't some unachievable dream. It is all you have to do is make it happen. And now is a very, very good time to make it happen because your US dollar will go a very long way in Europe, which is generally an expensive place to go. You know, so if you so if you if you're not sort of if you're not you know, uh, country or continent specific, if you want to adjust your travel based on where your money will take you the furthest, certainly take advantage of the fact that the UK currency is worth bugger all at the moment. Mm, that's a very well, good It's point. the
1: same with Australia, Graham. It's a very good time for um, people to come to Australia. The, uh, the the POMs would be getting triple.
2: Oh, and, no, no. Yeah. Well, actually...
1: Um, We're down to 60... 60 um,
2: When we first travelled to the UK, Graves, right, when we first started travelling to the UK, we were getting uh, 30p for one of our dollars. Now we can get 61p for one of our dollars. So it's it's definitely a lot better uh, for us. But, you know, for for, for Americans who wanted to come to Australia, you know, um, one of our Australian dollars only buys about 75 US cents. So, you know.
4: Yep. Canadian dollars are the same. It's about 75 cents, whereas a few years ago, the Canadian dollar was briefly worth more than the U.S. dollar. We've had a big yeah. drop as well.
5: Just taking this this um, sideways, um, for younger travelers who can get, get um, work permits in various places, um, then a, a brilliant way to actually keep yourself on the roads and, and traveling flush is to to get yourself um, jobs in the countries where the money is worth more. So, in the U.S. and Australia, for many people now, and um, if you can get a work permit for those countries, then how fantastic is that? You travel a long way on what you can earn.
2: Yeah, that, yeah, that's right, Sam. My son's restaurant uh, wouldn't function if it wasn't for um, people travelling and backpackers wanting uh, a bit of spare cash working in his restaurant. Yep.
3: Back in '91. I had a work permit for Australia, the only country I've ever had a work permit for. And your unemployment was so high, Brian, and I couldn't get a bloody job there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go through it like uh, like it's written on the Horizons Unlimited website then. Let's just talk about first tier, second tier, third tier, fourth tier. Does that sound good? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So for first tier, so if you're talking Northern Europe, um, what sort of considerations are there specifically to that area?
1: Well, we well, found uh, Norway one of the most expensive countries we've ever visited. The fuel was very expensive, accommodation, accommodation was expensive, um, food, everything was expensive. But we were only there for three weeks. Oh, you know. It's,
2: it's so well worth it. But um, one of the one of the main considerations, I would think, in the, in um, Europe in particular, um, is security, theft, things like that. I think. But it, they're talking about costs. I know. I know. But it's a cost of being able to keep your bike or be able to maintain it somehow. Um, that's one thing I really, really am very aware of in, uh, in Europe. Food, um, be prepared to modify your diet. Um, here in Australia we can eat steaks uh, until they run out our ears. Don't try and do <laughs> that in France.
1: <laughs> and and you, there's no such thing as a cheap bottle of wine in Norway? Do not think
6: <laughs> – well, let's,
1: let's just cook up something at the campsite and go and grab a cheap bottle of red and really enjoy ourselves because there ain't such a thing.
5: <laughs> yeah. Alcohol in, tidbit, in, in some countries in, in, in Europe is just silly money, but particularly Norway and Sweden's not that much better either.
1: No. no that's
5: right.
4: Yeah. Yeah, one thing <laughs> about Norway where you can save some money that most people don't realise is that you can bush camp just about anywhere you like.
5: Yes. Yeah, trend. within reason, and, and within it reason. does make yeah. a huge difference.
4: Yeah, um, we didn't um, realize as just buying that we food,
5: there. As does buying your food in the supermarket. So what Brian just said about moderating your diet, um, that makes a big difference. And something else that's worth having a think about is um, um, some countries that – developing world countries that you travel to, you can get spare parts or you can get things made, which when you get into Europe will cost you an arm and a leg to buy but you can actually get them made for buttons as you're actually traveling in the direction of Europe. So it's worth having a think about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian mentioned um, petrol prices. There's a, a really nice um, site called um, mytravelcost.com. And there's um, there's a link on a section on there called petrol Prices. And they'll list the petrol prices, the current petrol prices around the world and this is such a good tool if you're doing long-distance planning, being able to see which is the most expensive country in the world and what you're likely to be um, paying um, as you're going.
1: And speaking of petrol, and there is that uh, that trick in, oh, gosh, I can't remember what country it is in South America, where they ac- actually charge foreigners more uh, for fuel. They're charging more than uh, is on the bowser that,
2: price. That, that, that's Bolivia. That is why I um, think. Um, yeah, Venezuela maybe, but I'm definitely Bolivia, where they charge um, double the petrol price for people travelling through. And when you think about it, um, the, 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 the country's that poor that the locals do need uh, a bit of a break that way, and uh, tourists can afford it. And when we when we were doing it, the, the, the price was actually about the same as what we pay in Australia. When we when we pay double, so um, it pays to check those things out.
4: Mostly those Northern European countries are just plain going to be expensive. So one of the advices we often give to travelers that are thinking about doing a big trip is do Europe when you're 70 or something because there's, well, there's lots to see. Do it when you've got the money. But if you're trying to travel for a long time and you want to do it on the cheap, Europe and even the USA are not the places to be doing it. There's lots of other parts of the world where you can travel much more cheaply. So a lot of it, Um, about how to do it cheaply is plan where you're going to go.
5: Many of the countries across Europe, um, wild camping is not legal, but um, Graham and I do it quite a lot when we're um, traveling, and you can always find, well, frequently find a corner that you can tuck yourself away in, and that can keep the costs down quite dramatically. But, I mean, thinking about accommodation, um, one of my top tips for um, trying to work out your advanced budget is just go online. And let's say you've got France on on your planned route, your hopeful route, then just check out and see what prices campsites are and what prices um, um, hostels are and that sort of stuff. And you can very quickly get a rough idea about how much the accommodation in that country is going to cost. And that can help you plan how long you can afford to stay there and um, how much money you're going to need.
1: And there's always um, booking websites to try and get a deal uh, on accommodation. Um, Sometimes we would go to the nearest free um, Wi-Fi place when we got into a town, which would be a cafe or a McDonald's or whatever, and uh, check out the local hotels and see how much they were um, offering rooms for on that daily rate or how much a hostel was to book in that day to stay that night. And quite often you would find that that's a cheaper way of doing it.
2: Yeah, another one the is um, if you wanted repairs on your bike or something like that, I, there's this weird little website called Horizons Unlimited where um, <laughs> you, you, you get um, uh, some good advice. You know, I needed some bits and pieces done for my bike and uh, I contacted a guy who um, in, in Denmark and, oh, come and stay at my house. I'm an ex-BMW mechanic uh, and, I, and he had a fully outfitted garage and you must stay. And we had to stay two nights with him while he took us around his, his country. I mean, uh, people people do those things. If, if someone was coming through our part of the world and needed some assistance, I, I would certainly be um, helping him out. And that's cheaper than uh, pulling up outside a, a, a shop, a repair shop, and saying, I, I want you to do this, I want you to look at that. So there's another good piece of advice, I think. Check
4: yeah. the local communities out. The local people are... I mean, we have the Horizons Unlimited communities, which is where you most easily connect with people in other countries. And they've signed up for that in order to meet travelers. And what we find sometimes is that people are reluctant to write to the communities asking for help. But, hey, that's what they want. They want to meet you and they're, they're dying to help out and they're, they're looking for your stories. And, and, and you coming from halfway around the world to their town is, is really exciting and a big deal for them. So, yeah, write to them. Don't be afraid to do that.
2: It's really important. Well, the owners' associations, uh, Mark Owners' Associations, yeah, the NWO owners, owners' Association of America, their booklet on, of contacts in each state and territory is huge. It's like a Bible.
4: Yep. And they've also got international contacts in there as well.
0: Yeah. So for second-tier countries then, that would be the rest of Europe, Canada, and the U.S. What sort of things are we looking at there? Really, it's a lot of the same of North, as Northern Europe, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're just looking at expensive fuel, expensive accommodations, expensive food.
4: Yeah, it's all just going to cost more than the cheaper countries, and it's going to cost a little bit more than Northern Europe. Um, one of the big things about a lot of Europe, and especially North America, is that everything is easy. It's all there. There's no hassles. There's no difficulty getting just about anything you want. So those are what I call the easy countries. Same with Northern Europe. It's easy. There's no difficulties there.
0: And there's some expenses that we're going to come to that are for everything that, that we'll we'll get to. Some stuff like, you know, the medical insurance and all those sorts of things that are going to apply to everything. We'll leave that to the end. But did, Sam, did you have something to add?
5: Yeah, I did. Um, one of the problems with traveling in countries where everything's easy, um, and, and how cool is it? Because you you travel for ages in developing world countries where nothing is easy, um, except Ooh. for standing looking at gorgeous views, Um But, you know, just doing stuff in shops and so on, it becomes very, very easy. You you can walk into a shop and instantly pick up a bar of soap where you might have had to hunt for half a day to find a shop that had got one. Um, Half a dozen different varieties of cheese and cereal and milk and everything else, shampoo. Um, But the risk that you run the longer you're traveling in um, a developed country is that you start to get mentally lazy. Um, you, You run the risk of not bargain hunting because stuff is so easy um, and there's because it's easy there's an awful lot more opportunity to see and do stuff um, your pace can be well, yeah. you can get mentally lazy instead of taking an extra half a day to have a good hunt round the supermarkets and see which supermarkets have got special offers on what and do your shopping by doing a little bit here and a little bit there you'll just think oh stuff it it's a beautiful day let's just keep riding and we'll just jump into this supermarket buy everything we need and go well by doing that you can add an extra ten or fifteen dollars onto your day.
2: Well, yeah. and the other thing that, I, as we were talking, I was thinking of is um, when you're traveling, you want to go to see the sites. Well, when you see the sites in, say, Paris or Rome, they're far more expensive to get into than, say, if you you want to go and look at an ancient Aztec um, uh, site in uh, Mexico or somewhere like that.
4: Yeah, yeah. Getting into some of those places, the price is absolutely stunning. I remember um, a couple of Australian travelers who we won't mention, who are not with us today, got all the way to Nordcap <laughs> and noticed the, what the price was, and turned around and didn't go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I always find that story staggering.
4: Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, come on, you're there. You've got. To, sometimes you just have to spend the money. Um, we got to Ushuaia, and and we found out that we could go to Antarctica. And it was going to be 2500 bucks each. That's half price. Holy cow, that's, that's a lot of money. And we were into credit cards at that point. But, hey, what are credit cards for? You know, sometimes you've got to push out the boat and just go and do it. Um, exactly. And, and
1: the chances are you won't go back to Ushuaia and have the opportunity to go to Antarctica again. Absolutely. And the chances are our, um, our mutual friends won't go to Nordcap again.
4: Absolutely. Well, with the, well, those two, you never know. But Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but
3: There's awesome. a lot to be said for taking the opportunity when it presents itself. Uh, when I was yeah. in South America, it was going desperately wrong. I realized that the, I was backpacking back then. That was around year 2000. And I realized that what I had allowed as a daily budget simply wasn't going to cut it, particularly in Argentina back then, which was keeping its currency uh, level with the US dollar. And I just thought, well, sorry, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And uh, and I was supposed to be out for a year. And then for various reasons, uh, tenant in the UK, in my house in the UK stopped paying rent and some other quite disastrous things occurred. And the whole trip was cut short. But at least while I was down there, I did everything, every opportunity that was presented to me because um, – like you say, that's what credit cards are for. And in the in the event, okay, I only sort of went as far south as as uh, I think Portland Talisman got as far as Bolivia when it was supposed to be a whole year trip all the way back up the other side. But I don't feel I missed out on anything that was there, although the trip was cut short. So because you don't have a crystal ball, because you can't see in the future, okay, maybe you save some money by not going to Nordcap, but maybe you know anything can happen in the rest of the trip. And then what exactly are you saving that money for? A nice coffin, you know? Yeah, I I (laughs) agree with you,
4: Graham. Yeah, yeah. we were in uh, Tanzania and we discovered that we could go on a balloon ride over the Serengeti. Champagne ride and sunrise and all that stuff and fantastic. And we looked at the price and went, oh, my God. But we signed up or tried to sign up for it anyway. And our regret is that we didn't know about this in advance. And it was like a month booking so we missed out. But yeah, you've, you've got to take these opportunities. Um, if something is amazing, don't turn it down. You're there to do and you're there to see and you're there to experience. How can, you, how can you turn down an awesome experience? That just doesn't make any sense to me at all.
0: As far as extra expenses for Europe, Canada and the U.S., we're not really looking at anything that, that's abnormal from the, from the average trip.
4: No, I think that's all going to be pretty straightforward. It's pre- all pretty obvious, and there, I don't think there's any difficulties. What you have to prepare for, and, and the biggie on, on the, the original idea of this is the surprises, is something interesting. You've got to have some money set aside so that you can do those exciting, cool, interesting, once-in-a-lifetime things. You've got to make sure that you've got room for that. And that, I think, is where a lot of people go wrong on their budgeting. They don't plan enough money for those kind of things, and then they say – the Nordcap couple. Oh, that's too expensive. We can't do that. Well, yeah, you got to do that, but you have to plan that in advance and make sure you've got money set aside to do those exciting and cool things.
5: I think that that's absolutely right, Grant. I mean, the basic rule I think um, for budgeting is work out what you think you're going to need to spend and double it. Usually yeah. you can live well within that, so mm. that means more jollies or longer on the road than you hope for, but you've covered all eventualities that way. But I mean, I, I'm i sort of listening to what you guys are saying about um credit cards and things like that. And I did do one trip and came back um, having spent a significant amount on my credit cards. And it made life at the end of the trip incredibly difficult because I had this horrible debt hanging over my neck for ages. Um, and that actually took away some of the joy from me. So I've never done that since. Um, and I always try and finish a trip with um, a wedge of cash. So that, you know, I can find somewhere to live. So I can go and have a few beers with my friends and go and see family and that sort of stuff. Um, but again, this is just one of the things that makes overlanding such a unique to the individual thing, isn't it? we have all able to do it exactly how we want to.
4: Yeah, I think the, the flexibility to have some cash left over is really a big thing. But on the other hand, if we hadn't gone to Antarctica, we'd be kicking ourselves for the last 15 years saying mm. – God, we should have done that. We should have done that. We should have done that. You know, you just have to do it. Um, so you, it's like you say, it's individual. And I think the most important thing, again, as I said up front, is budget to have some money to do the exciting things. That's really yeah. what it comes down to.
5: Yeah, definitely. And and you know, when somebody's planning a trip, this is so easy to do now because you can go online and you can say, how much is it going to cost me to go up the the arc de triomphe or the eiffel tower or whatever else it may be how much is going to cost me to get into the taj mahal bang there's the figure straight in the budget Um, job done yeah
0: so for third tier countries which you have latin america listed here what sort of things are specific to latin america
4: every border crossing costs you money (laughs) that's one of the big things i think
0: so what, what sort of money are you talking about
4: not usually very much. Uh, it used to be fairly substantial, but now average, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50 bucks at most, depending on the country. And there's a wide variation, but just be prepared. It's going to cost you a few bucks. On the other hand, for the Americas, you don't need a carnet anymore, which you used to need to do. Uh, so with no carne, you have to pay a little bit at the border. There's a few more fees. There's a few odds and ends, and there's always going to be some costs. Um, be prepared for that. It's just the way it is.
0: You know, we're about to talk about the fourth tier one being parts of Africa and Asia, and you mentioned carne, but and I think it was on Horizons Unlimited. I saw this, but it may not have been, but it said that you can use a carne for uh, South America, and, and I think there was one other place that, that was mentioned, but why would you want to use one if it's not required?
4: It, you don't want to use one unless you already have one because of where you were. For us, for instance, we had to have a Carnet for Africa, so we did Africa with a Carnet, we landed in Buenos Aires, and we could eliminate a lot of those costs at all the borders by using the carne.
0: Ah, okay.
5: So you and actually save money for too. it. Yes, it's, yeah, it's cheaper. It's a time thing too, isn't it? Because, you know, when you've got a carne, you haven't got to go and go up for all of these different types of paperwork. Each one which has gone says has got a fee. When you've got a carne, you hand over the carne, it gets rubber stamped, and job done, you are gone.
0: Okay, so fourth tier countries, parts of Africa, Asia. Um, what about that? Are we now we're looking at carne?
4: You well for a lot of Asia and for Africa. Yeah, you need a carne, and that's going to cost you. And that's it's a, one of those things. Like if you're going to go around the world on a motorcycle, you need a motorcycle, okay? And you need camping equipment, and you need this, and you need that. And one of the things you need is a carne. And don't get all bent out of shape when you find out how much it costs because that's what it costs. That's it. It's it's a fact of life. Um, You have to do it, and it's unfortunate. But one of the reasons that people often are going around the world on cheap motorcycles is because the carnage cost is so much lower. If you wanted to go to Egypt, for instance, with a brand-new 1200 GS – um, last I heard was that the carne value for that bike is three hundred percent of the value of the bike. Iran was Iran was used higher. to be four hundred and
1: seventy
4: percent yeah, and last I heard Egypt or not Egypt, am I saying uh, India was four hundred or something. but this goes up and down and it depends on each country because the reason that number is so high is because it depends on how much aggravation your local carne issuing authority has had with that country if it's if that country is a pain in the neck and constantly. Uh, pesters them for money, then they raise the rate because what they're doing is covering their labor to deal with these countries, which are not very well organized.
5: Um, That's another thing, you know, in developing world countries, um, quite often the cost of the visa is more expensive, depending on which country you come from. So for example, if you're Irish um, or um, uh, a Kiwi, then quite often visas cost hardly anything. Canadians do quite well too, don't they?
4: Yes, we do very, very well for sure. Yeah, we've got yeah, probably we Brits.
5: The, we Brits have annoyed so many people. Our visas are expensive just about everywhere.
4: Yeah, and Australia. Australia
1: upsets visas. people.
4: Yeah, Australia requires visas for every country in the world. So virtually every country in the world requires visas for Australians.
1: So and charges more. And, and charges, charges Australians more. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yep.
5: Brazil. I see just, for English uh, to get into Canada, we've now got to get advanced approval.
0: Really yeah
5: you know mm. yes like the um for america you've got the esta the sta you've yep. now got is it the eta for for Brits and various other nations to get into canada
0: okay so so that that sort of covers those areas now now to get a little bit more detailed so so really i mean I think that just listening to everything that you guys have put in there, it's the carne that is the big thing again, as always. It stands out as that, that big expense. It really adds up. The border crossings in Latin America. Um, otherwise, you're sort of just looking at elevated prices of everything in Northern Europe and Canada and the U.S., that sort of thing. That, that's sort of a, a rough, uh, you know, overview of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Pretty much.
0: So looking at our, our, our main area, our main list of concerns, and again, we're going to post this on the website so you can go to the show notes and, ha- and have a look at it. But some of the stuff we have on here, and I think it's, well, is there anything in particular we need to know about fuel? I mean, obviously fuel is going to be an expense. Do you guys have anything that we should add to that?
1: The, the only thing we're often asked is how hard is it to get fuel? Everywhere you go, there are people with cars and bikes. So everywhere you go, there will be fuel. It may not be really good fuel, but you will always get something to power your bike.
4: Yeah. And if nothing else, you can ask somebody in the village, which doesn't have a gas station, says, who's got fuel? And somebody will come running out with a gallon can or a couple of Coke bottles full of fuel. Exactly. There is fuel. There is fuel. Right. It's there.
0: <laughs> but remember, we're talking about budgeting here. So what we're looking for is dollars here. Like, in other words, uh, are, there, are there any ways to save money? Are there things that we should be aware of? Are there, are there places you should buy fuel and shouldn't buy fuel? Or is that just going to be a standard thing? It just
6: no, I, I, I think it's
2: a standard thing, Jim. I think it's, you know, you've only got to be aware of the prices. And, you know, like that that thing in Bolivia, you know, we had a couple that uh, didn't take any notice of that. So, uh, and then all of a sudden you're in a fight with the locals because you're not paying the right rate. So, you know, awareness is a big thing, but fuel is just a cost that's going to be there all the time. And you'll be paying what the locals are paying, generally speaking, or what the tourist price is.
0: And you can probably find that in advance. I mean, Sam, you mentioned that website, mytravelcost.com, something like that. Or we have one here, um, Gas Buddy, I think it's called. Gas Buddy is an app you can get um, that's quite good for looking ahead to see what the fuel prices are. Maybe places you can save it, although I doubt it's worth with a motorcycle going very far out of your way.
3: Well, this is it on a motorbike. You know, for example, leaving Bulgaria into Turkey. Turkey's got one of the most expensive fuel prices in the world. Okay, so you'll fill up in Bulgaria where it's significantly cheaper, but we're on motorbikes. It's only going to hold maybe, what, a maximum of 40 liters. It's not going to make a huge difference. It's going to be annoying if you'd crossed over into the ball drawn empty. But even by knowing in advance, it's not going to make a huge difference to a trip because you're not in a massive unimog where you can put in like 700 liters and it will keep you going for four days. We're mm-hmm. constantly going to have to fill up. So the saving isn't going to be that significant. Yeah. I just find that with fuel, it... I'm, I want
4: fuel now. I need fuel now. Fill her up. I just I don't find it's worth the aggravation and the stress of worrying about is there going to be fuel in the next town, which where I think it might be cheaper, maybe if I'm lucky. Or well, on the other hand, maybe there isn't going to be any fuel. You're there. You need it. Get it. Pay the price. Don't worry about it. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Oh, and you know, I mean, when it, Berger and I know? were riding in um, in in Baja. If you were on the main roads, then the fuel was the price it was. But, you know, you you went 25 miles, 50 miles off out into the scrub and you found the little local guy who was selling fuel and he, it was costing an arm and a leg. But, hey, this guy had, had to carry it all of the, that way so that you could get fuel. Are you going to argue the toss? No, of course you're not. You're just happy to find somebody selling fuel. Yeah, but absolutely. if you were to head that way with a half-empty tank in the first place where you had the chance to fill it up before you headed off the beaten track, well, then you'd be shooting yourself in the foot, wouldn't you?
3: What were you going to say, Graham? Oh, just, uh, just a little thing, for example, uh, in, in the States, in the national parks, if they're big national parks and they have fuel stations, their fuel prices are astronomical. So if you can fill up outside the national parks, but then again, if they're big national parks, you've got to get fuel anyway.
0: <laughs> right. But, but as far as budgeting for fuel, do, do you guys have any sort of off the cuff amount that you would say, oh, yeah, you're going to run roughly this much money? I mean, I've, I realize it's going to vary you know, around the world.
2: I basically do it on tanks, you know. Yeah. We'll budget for maybe a tank a day. Mm. And that's plenty, you know, you probably won't use that all the time.
1: And well, with the cost, really if enough. you look at if you look at Norway is going to be probably one of the most expensive countries that you refuel in, and um, Iran, where it's gonna cost you five or six cents a litre, is gonna be one of the cheapest. Go for about I don't know dollar twenty dollar fifty might be your rough if you're going through a whole lot of countries. But if you're going to be in Europe, you know it's going to be over two dollars everywhere pretty much. In Australia, it's nearly a dollar fifty now at the moment here. And I was going to say if you're if
0: you're counting on a, a tank a day, you can simply do an internet search and sort of get a rough idea where you want to go and figure out rough prices and and maybe do uh, I don't know you know a yeah. double of that or something to make sure that you've got plenty of budget. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So food is there anything special about food in particular areas that um would be uh something that may uh, make a difference in price um i mean again the, all these questions or all these all these uh things that we're talking about obviously are variable all around the world but does anything come to mind
1: well obviously if you're going hates. to buy food yeah <laughs> eat what the locals eat as long as it won't kill you sam <laughs> <laughs> you always have to put that rider on
0: but dollar value, d- does anyone have an off-the-cuff dollar value? What you guys would say, okay, I'm going to count on this much. I know it'll cover me everywhere.
4: Oh, that'd be depending on where you are, doesn't it? Again, I mean, yeah, we We're just in Panama, sure. and we could go into a KFC, and the prices looked exactly the same as they would be in the U.S. or Canada, or I could go to the, the little local place next door, and it was $4 for a huge plateful. Hmm. hmm. Different price. It depends on what you are willing to put up with. Do you want to have the food you're used to at home in a nice restaurant, or are you willing to eat with the locals, or even better, go into the local supermarket or the mini super and buy some local food and cook it yourself? I mean, this is a decision that the person has to make themselves up front. How cheap? It's always going to be, be?
1: cheaper if you buy in the supermarket and cook yourself. Sure, if of you're course. camping or staying in a hostel with a kitchen.
0: Sure, but how do you how do you get estimates of what you're going to spend? Like when a person's researching this, how are they going to figure out, you know, some sort of ballpark? Is it $10 a day? Is it $50 a day?
5: Completely depends on where you are. You know, you. one of the tips that one of the things that we always do for um, for food is when we roll into a new country, we'll find a local that we get on well with and we'll say we've got a few minutes and we'll sit down and we'll buy them a coffee or a beer or whatever. And we've got a list of food um, that we know we're going to want as staples. And we'll get the local person to tell us what the price the locals will pay is going to be, particularly if we're going to be bargaining for stuff in markets, you know, like bread, bananas and that sort of stuff. Um, And normally they'll give you the local price and you know you're not going to pay local price. You're always going to pay tourist price. But hey, because you know what the locals are paying and they know you know when you're bargaining, um, the chance of you paying anything even remotely like tourist price is slim. And that can save you a lot on your budget.
0: Good tip. Yeah.
5: But yeah. in a lot of
1: those places, Sam, even tourist prices are cheaper than what we'd be paying at home.
5: Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. Sure. Yeah, without sure. doubt.
4: Yeah. I think the other thing is to make sure you're, you're flexible on your brands. I mean, again, we just coming back from Panama, we really noticed this. If we wanted to have a brand that we were familiar with in the supermarket, it was, say, $3 for a can of something. Whereas if I was willing to take a local brand, it was a $1.50. Mm-hmm. You know? So... Don't get too stuck on having the things that you're familiar with. The point of travel is to experience new stuff. So try some new things that are different, and you can yeah, see. Eating money.
1: eating street food is good fun in places, um, you know, India, Pakistan, places like that. And we were given a, a hint before we did our first trip, and um, uh, someone who'd done a lot of travelling said to us, "If the person serving the food and cooking the food, a street vendor, looks healthy." Uh, chances are the food will be
4: okay. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I always look at is, is the food fresh and hot? If it's yes, really if hot it's, coming well, off it little fully cooked, fine. Yeah. If I, if they take give it to you off a, a side dish that's been sitting there for an hour or who knows how long, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But if they put no, no, it in front of me it's, and it's hot, I'll take it.
1: An and onion barge is, is straight is, out of the fryer. Beautiful. Yeah,
3: absolutely.
2: <laughs> Script on the uh, you know the, the, the good things in life. Uh, I've got a favourite little restaurant called Doi which overlooks the the back of the uh, the blue mosque in Istanbul, and you know you got to go through all these little back streets to get to it, and it's eating with the locals and it's just fantastic. Oh, it's a little bit more expensive than the street food, but don't don't uh, give up on those great opportunities.
5: Sure. The other Sometimes thing with you food, have to treat yourself, don't you?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And the closer you are to something important the more expensive it's going to be i remember having a drink in a bar uh, just at the trevi fountain with some friends and the guy was bleating about how expensive the beer was i said can you just have a look at where we're sitting (laughs) you know we could go we could go 10 streets away and have a cheaper beer and just be looking at a brick wall
4: (laughs) yeah and we were in uh, switzerland uh, and we hadn't realized that we were in Switzerland and the difference are the, sorry, we knew we were in Switzerland, but we've forgotten the difference between the Swiss franc and the value of the Euro. And we're at the top of the mountain pass. The view is absolutely spectacular, stunning, amazing, fantastic. So we thought, right, we'll do it here. Just eating outside, watching this beautiful scenery, cars going by in the distance and all that. This is really cool. And then we got the bill and just about had a heart attack. It was a hundred US dollars for a hamburger and a salad.
1: Yeah, that's a bit exy. <laughs> that's a bit
4: exy. <laughs> I think this hotel was doing very well, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say the vendor saying, probably
1: looked really healthy. You're look at
0: the vendor to get an idea if they're healthy. I don't think Colonel Sanders is really the epitome of health when I think of that picture.
3: No, <laughs> no, no definitely not. not. Oh, Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Graham, you were going to say something? <laughs> yeah, um, when you're on the road, wherever the trucks are stopped, uh, yeah. because they've got fresh hot food. As a truck driver for 17 years, I can't say we eat the most healthy of diets, but if the trucks are stopped there, they know something, and it's always hot. It was always relatively fresh, and it's certainly cheap because truck drivers are not high earners. So where the trucks are stopped is a relatively safe place to stop and eat.
1: You know, I that's totally even the same, same here, all over you know, the world. Yeah, everywhere there's trucks, a, a truck stop. You go in there, it will have the best breakfast you'll get for under ten bucks, even here in Australia.
0: Clearly, our list is not in alphabetical order. So the next one is is visas. What do we have to watch with visa expenses, and, and how do we roughly figure out what sort of money it's going to cost for visas? You
6: know, again, Just it's going to differ, go online and on you go you online
1: are. to the countries you're going to and find out how much they're going to charge you.
0: Right. So pretty basic. I mean, you can find that that's that's readily available online. Again, another piece <laughs> yep. of research that you do. Um, is there any variables with visas, or are you going to find any surprises?
6: Well,
1: yes. um, surprises. Ahead, I think you need to look at how long your visa will last, and how um, from the date that you are issued with the visa, how long you have to get to the country. That can that can really trip you up if you're not aware of certain countries. Say the stands, you can only get your visa a month out before you're going to get to the country, and then you're only going to get thirty days. So if you're running late, if you shilly-shally somewhere, you may not get to that country in time. So the timing of the um, issue date and when you can get into the country is very important and how many times you can use the visa if you're going to go in and out of the country.
2: And and also um, the uh, special permits you might need to go into other areas like the Pamir region, which is northern um, uh, Afghanistan, southern Tajikistan... That area needs a special permit. Sometimes you can get it, and sometimes you can't. So just be aware of that cost, depending on if there's uh, um, incursions or, or difficulties in the area at the time.
4: Yeah, the other one that goes with that on visas is in some countries your bike actually has a visa too. In other words, uh, for instance, here's a, a story. It's a few years ago, but the concept is still there. Um, a guy was in Guatemala, got a 90-day visa for himself, and the guard stamped to, for the bike and all that, and everything was fine. And then he went to leave at day 88 or something like that. And turned out that they'd given him a 30 day visa for the bike. Oh, let's check the stamps and the dates on
1: the stamps. Oh, yeah. But
4: what does that, that mean, money wise? Uh, well, let's see. He was Danish and uh, Danish American. And by the time he had the Danish ambassador involved, the American ambassador involved, whined and cried and complained for months. It ended up costing him $5,000 to get his Harley out. Ooh. He overstayed and his visa. That's it. There's a fine. That's, that's all there is to it. Now, is that just so, for your bike or for you as well? No, that, he was okay. It was the bike. Hmm. Hadn't been taken back out of the country in time. So, therefore, there was a fine. Um, and he was lucky they were actually going to keep the bike, period. They were going to confiscate it. So, he got away with only a $5,000 fine.
3: It's, so, the, uh,
4: the important thing, I think, to keep in mind is... Uh, like uh, Shirley said, look at the stamps before you leave. Don't say, oh, thank God this is over. Close the passport and walk away. Look at it. Read it. What does it say? What are the dates? And the other tip when you go in is they always ask you, how long are you staying? And, and the, my standard answer is, how long can I stay in your wonderful country? I would love to stay as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Get the longest visa you can. I don't care if you're planning on only being there for two days. Get the longest visa you can. You could... Walk out of that place, drive down the road, fall over, and break your leg. Now you're stuck in hospital there for two months. If you've got a one-week visa, you're screwed. Okay, so get, always get the longest visa possible. You may also find that the country is absolutely fantastic, and you really want to stay there as long as you can. Who knows? Things change. Always get the longest visa, and make sure that your bike is also good to go.
3: Graham? Uh, yeah, I, it's going on about, you know, different visas for person and bike. I stepped up big time in Azerbaijan, got a 30-day visa. I thought, what's all that stuff I read about only three days? I got a 30-day visa. But, yeah, the bike only had three days, and uh, I always stepped them up big time. It's a long story. I wrote it down in the book. But nevertheless, what beware, your bike doesn't necessarily get the same as you do. Same in Georgia. Your bike will get 90 days, and you'll get 360 days. So, what are you going to do
5: for the other six months? <laughs> it's well worth checking out with um, the embassies before you, you know, when you're doing your trip planning, to find out which um, countries require your bike to be stamped into your passport, for example, or have its own visa. We went through um, one of the countries in um, Central America. I can't remember which one it was now. Maybe it was Guatemala. I don't remember. Anyway, when we rolled in there, um, we did all of the paperwork. Everything was fine. Hunky dory. Um, tried to leave the country and we never had the bikes stamped into our passports and um, the officials were not happy at all. Now, Birgit, mm. f- fortunately, spoke pretty good Spanish and she managed to explain to the guy, I know in certain times, that actually their training was decidedly lacking if we'd been stamped into, as without, for ourselves but our bikes <laughs> hadn't and actually it was their problem to sort out. <laughs> fortunately, she had one guy who was, um, yeah, he was pretty on the ball and he listened and he said, yeah, do you know, you're right one day these young officers they will learn brilliant <laughs> but we were yeah.
0: lucky <laughs> so visas special permits and outstaying your visa all considerations and all stuff that as you guys said you can find online um, that's stuff you can plan for in advance no other surprises there that we need to know about i no, think we covered I don't it pretty think well okay. So. okay so so for accommodations This is, again, this is something, accommodation is something you can just research online. Does anyone have anything to add to that other than the fact that, you know, you just got to figure out your route and look online to see what you're going to pay?
4: Susan and I were just thinking as we went through Panama, uh, we went through Panama for the first time in 1987, and there was no internet. There was nothing. There was, it was, you drive along until you saw something that looked like a hotel and you go in and ask. And that was it. And here we were being able to book the next day on Booking.com or whatever various apps you wanted to use, and it was so easy. It was just yeah. like we were constantly remarking, "Oh, this is so easy. This is too easy."
0: Convenient yet removing adventure from your adventure. <laughs> I actually That's don't exactly think it removes what I was
1: thinking about. it. No, it actually removes tension from your adventure. Yeah. Yes. Because going oh, in and out of crappy little hotels that have got. Bed bugs and you just wouldn't stay there if it was the last hotel on earth. Whereas if you can check out things mm. on booking.com and if it looks as though it's cleaner and it just saves a lot of angst going somewhere, knowing where you're going and looking at it. And if it, it, then it's shitty, well, then you have to reevaluate. But um, Yeah, but hang
0: on. You, you wouldn't have booked with the Magacha Angels in Russia, would you? <laughs>
6: oh. <laughs> there you go. It was
1: one of those places that it was the last place on earth. <laughs> we had we had no option, and that was an experience. Yes,
0: Graham, Good what point. you can say?
3: But I'm just saying, you only need one story about a hotel with bed bugs. You only need that once. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely,
1: you only need it once.
3: Yeah, yeah. Ours was in Mexico. I literally flipped the sheets back,
4: about to crawl into bed, and the sheets moved.
0: I, I mean, mean, there were <laughs>
4: thousands of them. <laughs> So when it yeah, comes
0: to the next one on the list is repairs. When it comes to repairs, what sort of formula? I mean, then again, this is gonna be this'll be different for your bike, um, the type of bike you're riding, the place you're going, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But how do you guys sort of count on repairs?
4: Five oh, it's never gonna go BMW. wrong unless you have a BMW. <laughs> I ride a BMW, <laughs> like a five
2: pound <laughs> <outside>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Grinds into the whiskey or something.
0: I heard the bottle pop about a half an hour ago.
2: I did it right over there. work. <laughs> I heard,
3: work failed I with heard the her. cabinet
0: open up, creaking open, and I heard the bottle slide out there and pop goes the,
6: thing the bottle.
3: Because you, you, you insisted that I wear earbuds this time and I don't have speakers. When I leave the earbuds behind, I don't know what you're saying or
5: what, uh, what's going on in the background. <laughs> So the next time we hear one of Graham's whiskey bottle um, corks go, we know we can say anything we like. About it. <laughs> <laughs> short,
3: <laughs> I'm just waiting to see who Jim asks first about repairs and then I'm off. So,
0: so Graham, for repairs. <laughs> 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 Just move the bottle closer to you. For God's sake, put it beside oh, you. I've
3: got a broken back. It's over there for you and your microphone and your editing. I'm doing it out of consideration.
0: It's it's not working.
5: I'm not sure if one of these uh, one of these shows would be any um, would be the same without the sound of Graham's whiskey bottle cork. You <laughs> know, Thanks it's so gonna
0: it's going to be as recognizable as the start and end song. People will just. Hear. <laughs> I mean when I walk around somewhere and I hear that pop sound, I instantly think of Graham Field. It's just it's automatic. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's not over to the fat bottle pops. <laughs> <laughs> So,
0: (laughs) repairs, pulling us back into line here, repairs. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, you, like, put it this way, you're planning a trip, you've never done it before, how do you take into consideration the fact that you may have a problem? Do you you just count on the fact that your credit card is going to have enough room on it? Do you stick a certain amount of money aside? How do you do it?
3: How can you possibly? I mean, for me, I'm on a very inexpensive bike, the irony being that after the first trip, the bike became a little bit iconic and then originally it was the fact that if it all goes wrong, I can walk away from it. I haven't got much money in this bike. However, now it's become such a part of me that I would do anything to get that bike back. Then just over a year ago, when I was riding back from London to Bulgaria, the engine seized in Hungary well, how can you foresee that? Apart from the fact there was a shitload of oil over the back wheel, but I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. But um, you could go into it fatalistically, saying, "Well, my fifteen thousand, my fifteen thousand pound bike will break down. What will I need to fix it?" Or, I mean, it is it.
0: Yeah, but we're talking
3: cash repairs, can't possibly foresee what it's going to be a a, a huge breakdown could be a trip ender depending on the bike you're on and the budget you've got it's really hard to say
0: but i'm saying though but when you head off do you have any method where you have you know five hundred dollars stuck aside or 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 something like that where you say okay this is my method of coping with repairs this is how i uh, budget for it because that's what it's all about right is is giving people ideas of how to budget for their trip
4: I think you need to budget initially for regular servicing. I mean, you need to budget that you're going to be changing your oil on a regular basis. You need filters. Uh, You're going to need tires, tubes, whatever. You're going to have certain ongoing costs for the bike that are normal and standard, and you need to make sure you budget for that. The extra special ones where the bike is broken in half, the shock's blown, the engine's melted because the oil leaked all over the rear tire, you can't really budget for those other than saying, right, there's going to have to be a little bit of room in here and you make sure you got some money set aside. How much is up to you?
0: I think it was you that said before about having the money stuck aside for a flight back.
4: Yeah. yeah as long as you got enough money in your pocket that you can get on an airplane and fly home, you're always covered.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the uh, way. I think of... that's, that's the credit card experience that you were hoping you wouldn't have to have. But, um... or,
1: or the begging letter to your friends.
3: Yeah. yeah 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 the crowdfunding the, the, the facebook crowdfunding <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> i need a new motor <laughs> okay so yep. basically everybody just wings it i mean I, I can tell by the by the lack of responsive ideas for this as far as specific things everyone just goes out you guys all go out and, and just figure when you have a problem you'll deal with it whatever it takes
3: that's it's what a really, traveler yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You, it's unforeseeable, although you know that it's a possibility. But to go off thinking about it and trying to possibly quantify it, I think is a bit pessimistic, really.
5: Mm-hmm. I think it's pessimistic. And I think, but, but I mean, the chances are something might go wrong. And I think that you can, um, you can preempt a certain um, extent and you can cut down the chances of something going wrong. You know, if you set off on a bike that's in good condition to be careful already, that's cutting down the chances of something going big time wrong. If you're doing your maintenance as you're you're traveling and you're checking to see whether you've got things like cracks in frames and so on after gnarly day's ride, then, you know, that's cutting down the chances of something going wrong. If you're doing your servicing um, intervals in advance of the time that the manufacturer says, you're cutting down the chance of something going wrong. But it's also things like, well, look, OK, if something does go wrong, how can I keep the costs down? Um, and the sorts of things you can do there is, for example, have that really good relationship with your dealer back home so that he knows exactly what your bike is, exactly the spare part that you're going to need. And, you know, you can do all of those sorts of things. So if the drama happens, well, OK, it's not going to hurt quite as much as it could do. But, yeah, how do you budget for it? Um, we never did. We don't. Yeah,
4: no, you can't. I think it's impossible. But I think what you said about maintenance is probably the biggest thing. Um, I've seen so many people say, oh, this particular bike is a piece of shit because it's always breaking. Well, yeah, but that guy is riding the identical bike and he's had no problems. Why is that? Well, sometimes it comes down to the owner not maintaining the bike, not looking after it properly. And not riding it like he's riding it around the world, but riding it like he's out for a a Sunday jolly with the boys. There's a Mm -hmm. big difference in how you ride the bike. I know
5: for us. There's a huge difference between a straight adventure bike rider and somebody who's an overlander. An adventure bike rider is somebody who can go out and make that machine sing, and knowing that actually getting it fixed isn't going to be that difficult because they've got a job, they've got recovery. But overlanding? Yeah, you know, you're kind of nurturing it and taking care, of course. You do have your parry dakar days, though, don't you?
4: (laughs) Well, of course. (laughs) Uh, But you try not to beat the bike to death. You know, our bike was a good example. I mean, we were two up. We were heavily loaded. We had all the stuff. And we had no frame breakages. We had no shock failures. We had no issues of any kind with the bike. I mean, the bike never broke. And yet there's lots of people who give you song and dance and verse about BMW R80GS is solo, breaking frames, going through five shocks and failing all over the place and all kinds of stuff going wrong. It's, it's how you ride it. It's how you use it. And whether you look after it and whether you maintain it, it's up to you for most failures.
0: The next one on the list is we've already talked about is Carnets. Um, so Grant, do you want to just give a quick rundown on what, a very fast rundown of what a Carnet is?
4: Sure. If you're going to be going to countries where a carnet is required, think of the carnet as the passport for your bike. It's the passport for your bike to prove or guarantee to the country you're bringing the bike into that it will leave. So you have to put up a bond or pay insurance fees, et cetera, to your carnet issuing company. Um, And the point is to make sure that the bike leaves. And the value of the carnet and how much you're paying is totally dependent on two things. One of them is the value of the bike, and the second is the country that you're going to take it into. We were talking about Egypt and Iran and um, India re- earlier where carne is really, really expensive. There's other countries where the carne is very, very cheap. And where people tend to go wrong on carnes is they say, well, I'm going to go to this country, this country, and this country. And then they forget that things go wrong. And sometimes you have to go to another country. You have to go around that country because all of a sudden a war is broken out, so you need to go around. So when you're getting your carné, you need to make sure that you allow for other countries in the area that you might want to go to as well. And it's not like if you're going to go to India and Egypt, like it's 400% plus 800% is the value. It's whatever is the country that is the maximum value is what determines the value of the carné and what you're going to pay. So if you're going to go to India… You can put every other country in the world on there and you're good to go. So don't limit yourself to a minimum number of, of countries. Go for the Gusto. Go get them all on
0: there. And for the Carnet, you're going to have to go where?
4: Carnets are available from your local, shall we say, automobile association normally in most countries. Um, it used to be the RAC in the UK. I can't even remember who it is now. It's changed recently. Um, In Canada and the USA, it used to be the Canadian Automobile Association for both, both countries. It's now Boomerang Carnets in the USA for Canada and the USA. Australia, it's the RAC, and Germany, it's ADAC, and there's a whole list of them on our website for just Google Carnet, and you'll find out where to get it. Okay. basically your automobile association.
0: We, we did a whole show on that too. You can Google on our website and you can hear Grant give the full explanation of carnets and all the different things that you have to deal with or consider when you're getting them. But that is definitely a huge expense, something you have to consider if you're going to uh, a country that requires it. And again, part of your research, right?
2: And it Can yeah. be. Could, could I, could I say something on that? Yeah. Sure. There's less and less countries needing carnets as time goes on. It's becoming less relevant, but... Um, you've just got to make sure that you need it, and the other thing it does is it makes it easier to re-import your bike into your country, or there'll be another process like there is in Australia now. Um, but um, th- they're the main points with Kana, and, and Grant's adequately described what the, what it's for. It's really to stop you selling your bike and uh, making sure the bike leaves the country.
4: Yeah, that's the big one. So but here's they, one. they want their duty.
0: So our next one is is really important. Medical insurance, When we've talked about this on, on Adventure Rider Radio as well. But um, the expense, how do you figure out uh, what medical insurance is going to cost you? I think it's probably pretty straightforward, right? You're going to your, your local, well, whatever company happens to sell medical insurance for travelers. Are there any um, hidden things with this that you want to consider when you're doing it? <laughs>
6: yeah, Make sure they cover you
1: for riding a motorbike. Yes. and make sure they ride, cover you for riding any sort of motorbike because we found one company that said, yes, we'll cover you on a motorcycle trip, that's not a problem as long as the bike's not over 125 CCs. Yeah. And,
2: and, and the other thing is um, age, they're bringing in age limits now, um, trying to uh, scam more money out of people. Uh, I think it's 70, anyone over 70 years of age is going to have difficulty getting insurance to ride a motorcycle and you know, it's going to cost you a lot more. Yeah,
4: It's available, but it's difficult and expensive. We're working with a a new um, company called Ripcord, which is going to be able to do insurance and evacuation insurance for everybody in the world. So we're very excited about that, the potential there, and that will be up on the website in the next couple of days. I'm mm. sorry.
1: You need you need to make sure that your insurance does cover you. If everything turns pear shaped and you have a really bad accident and you're very ill, that you can be evacuated out if you're yes, somewhere you're right. that you don't want to go to their hospitals.
0: And I guess yeah. it sort of goes yeah, without right. saying too, you don't want to exaggerate or hide things before you go, like trying to say you're, you know Oh no. You, yeah, any oh, sort no. of avoiding. You want to be very clear about it and make sure you're covered because the last thing you'd want is yeah. to be in some spot where you find out and, you don't
1: an ins- Insurance companies are the same the world over. They love taking your money, but they're very reluctant to give you any of it back.
4: Yes. And if so you hide if you anything claim, or you lie about anything, you're toast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. They trouble. will take yep. any, anything at all, even if it has nothing to do with what your claim is. If you lied about anything on your application, you lied. That's it. Your, yep. your insurance is no longer. Whether it has any relationship to the problem or not is irrelevant. You're yep. out. So you've got to be absolutely careful on that. Um, But I think where a lot of people go wrong is they think they need medical insurance, but they also want to have evacuation insurance. But Mm. uh, I can tell a story about a girl who was in somewhere in Western Africa from the U.S., and she had a really bad accident, a head-on with a truck, and she was badly broken up. Um, She got shipped back to the U.S. because they couldn't deal with her there, and she is now in hock for the rest of her life because she yeah. had no insurance. And her, when, when asked about it, she said, I couldn't afford insurance.
0: No. If you
4: can't afford insurance, you can't afford to travel. You've got to have Correct. It.
1: Correct.
5: Grant, when I, when I had that 17 bone fracture accident in Namibia, um, I remember lying in bed, um, racked with pain and thinking, thank goodness I've got insurance. If yeah. I hadn't, then I would be that girl. Um, yeah. I'd be yeah still up to, up, up to my neck in debt now. Uh, one top tip with travel insurance is um, make sure that there's somebody at home who is easily contactable, has got a clear and level head and has got all of the insu- copies of all of the insurance paperwork. Because you may find that you have something that goes pear-shaped and you're lying in a hospital bed with very poor communication ability and you're having to try and deal with your insurance company. It makes far more sense to have somebody at home that you can phone and say, "This is the situation," and then they start making the telephone calls and everything else for you.
4: Yeah. Well, if you've got a good evacuation insurance um, system, they will. T- all you have to do is contact them, and they will take over and deal with all the kind of that that kind of stuff right up front.
5: That's absolutely. Yeah, that's what happened with me, Grant. Um, when things went so badly wrong for me in another instance, that was in Chile. Um, And But actually getting the contact going with the insurance company in the first place was the hard bit. Once that had actually happened and the situation was understood by the insurance company, then everything ran really smoothly. But it was that first bit that was complicated.
1: You know, Sam, that's good advice for any traveller thinking of any contingency, to have a grown-up at home... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who can take over if things like say your credit card collapses or it's stolen and you need money and you're having trouble communicating with banks wherever you are, a grown up in yep. your home country can deal with your bank and sort things out a lot quicker. So I think yep. it, it's a good idea to have someone who can help when things turn turn poorly for you. Yep.
4: And they should I mean, have your pins and passwords too. They should.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah. So and they can they get into talking- your account and
5: deal with it. We're talking budget here. I mean, this makes it, uh, is is really important point on a budget, isn't it? Can you imagine? I mean, hanging on a telephone in some really strange land that you've had to travel to to get to to use the phone, and um, ultimate you know, multiple opportunities chasing around trying to get through, and all of the rest of it. When actually you could have just made that one phone call, spoken to a person at home that you trust, and got all the details, and bang, that's it. No dicking around with trying to deal with banks and getting put on hold, even though you're in. Some strange land for half an hour, and it's eating your money. Whatever, um, yeah, no, and, it's, it's,
1: and it's peace of mind.
5: Yeah,
0: and as well for insurance, there's bike insurance to consider. And I, I just saw a posting on Facebook where someone uh, had taken a bike to another country, and they thought they were covered by one insurance by the by that country's insurance. I guess the the, the insurance they bought there, and they had to sort of deal with their insurance company. What do you do? I mean, I guess, again, this is something you can research. I'm I'm sure there's plenty of information on Horizons Unlimited, but um, are there any surprises here for insurance for bikes? Mostly there isn't. Okay, so for for budgeting I'm talking about. So is there any surprises? Like, in other words, are you going to run into something that's an extra cost? I I,
2: I think you've got to to look at the level of insurance you want. If you're going to take your whiz-bang, your your, um, $30,000 bike uh, to Europe, well, you want to insure the bike itself, or do you just want to have – um, third party insurance. But
1: to ensure the bike itself is so expensive, so expensive. everywhere, you just yeah. take out the local third party. So if you run into someone, you're covered.
4: Yeah, mostly I find that getting insurance for your motorcycle in a foreign country is either impossible and they literally laugh at you for being silly enough to ask, or it's the prices, it's completely ridiculous. So yeah. most travelers, 99% of travelers, for the buck are self-insured and i can tell a story about these guys who just posted on facebook this morning um two ktm 990s in amsterdam in a secure lockup gone stolen yep
0: so it
2: happens that's europe that's europe for
0: you (laughs) shipping can certainly be a huge concern um what would a person have to consider with shipping
2: I think there's a couple of things there. If, you, if you're leaving your home, uh, you can afford to, to put it in a freighter and ship it across the world, but be aware you know, of time delays. If, you, if you're doing it in a part-filled container, it's going to get offloaded and reloaded into a container in some other port. And um, I, you know, I think we've explained the stories of, of us having to wait uh, three weeks uh, longer than what we thought for a bike going into the UK and then 10 days extra for a bike going into Chile. Um, so, and look at the cost of flying your bike because when you fly your bike, it arrives uh, pretty much the same time as you and you can then um, access it very quickly because they don't want it sitting around in an airport. The um, the freight handlers at airports are far, far more efficient than anything at, at docks um, and I really think that um, it's now becoming almost uh, level peaking and cost-wise to fly your bike, particularly between um, the Americas and uh, the U- uh, Europe, is uh, is quite reasonable now with uh, the different rates. I think with the Canadian Airlines grant and, yeah. and people like that. Yeah. Um, but if you can, you know, and, and time is not an issue, yeah, well, you might want to um, uh, use sea say. freight. Yeah, I'm
4: absolutely opposed to shipping your bike out of country. Shipping at home, okay. As you were saying, all kinds of delays. I mean, we shipped our bike from Canada to New Zealand. We got to New Zealand, went down to the docks. The bike's in, in port. It's all fine. But there's a strike. Two weeks we had to wait for the dock strike to end before we could get the bike out. So yeah. and all our camping gear was in the bike. It was in the saddlebags. We couldn't even camp. We had to stay in a hotel. That was not in the original budget at all. We were supposed to be out there camping and traveling and seeing things. Instead, we're stuck in a hotel in, in Auckland. That was silly expensive. So, yeah, But if you're yeah. shipping at home and the bike doesn't arrive, so what?
1: Yeah, you it know? doesn't matter. Well, it's well, not important.
2: Our, our last journey, Greg, you know, we, uh, we shipped out of Busan in, in uh, South Korea to yeah. travel to Melbourne. Now, there's heaps and heaps of uh, cars yes. and things being shipped to Australia all the time via that route. 18 days in the ship to get to Melbourne, that's fine. 18 days sitting on the bloody docks to get it out because of the inefficient systems we've got on our docks here in, in <laughs> Australia, you know. And I, you know, I'm just frustrated uh, riding across uh, the bridge on one of my other bikes looking down at this freight yard where I know my BMW is and I can't mm-hmm. get to it.
4: Yep, yep. I, I look at it, air versus sea, like this. How many thousands of years have people been shipping stuff by sea? And how many thousands of years has somebody been trying to figure out how to put a little extra money in their pocket and add (laughs) another job? Okay? Get the message? (laughs) Okay? So that's sea freight. Whereas air freight, the number one thing on air freight is it costs. It's expensive. And stuff doesn't go by air unless you want it quickly. So airplanes are efficient. They're fast. They're quick. It's done swiftly. Um, Costs at the port are very low whereas the costs at a seaport are huge. I've seen quotes where the port costs to get the bike out of the port is more than the shipping, like double yep. the shipping yep.
0: cost. And that can be by surprise too, can't I've it?
2: I've seen that too. That's a huge surprise. I, think,
0: yeah. can... like it's, I mean, it's not something you, you, you research it at first and you won't come up with those charges. It's only when you get there no. and you try and get it out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh,
4: absolutely. Because when you go to a shipping company and say, I want to ship my bike from here to there, And they say, it'll cost you this much. Great, 600 bucks, 800 bucks, whatever. Brilliant, that sounds really cheap, way cheaper than air freight. Then you get to the other side and you discover that that price that they quoted you up front is only to get it out of the country. It's got nothing to do with getting it into the next country and out of the docks.
5: A lot of the time, these guys don't know how much it's going to cost you to get the, the the bike into the country that you're going to. Anyway, they know about their end of things, but not the other end.
4: Yeah, and they don't. Uh, I mean, care. with a delay,
5: it, the, with a delay, it took um, me six weeks to get my bike out of the harbor in um, in India, um, yeah. and that turned out to be a very interesting experience. Well, I'm and sure it was. Fortunately, it was India, so it wasn't that expensive. Um, no, uh, but you could be it. But you all could right, be trying to stay in a Because
2: nowadays, nowadays they can they they can get on the internet like the rest of us and work out what the costs are. They just yeah. don't want to tell you and they want some other um, freight agent to rip you off.
4: Yeah. Well you can also go on to horizonsunlimited.com and go to the shipping database where we have thousands of shipments that bikes that people have made previously and recorded all the costs and what the hassles were and who was good and who was bad. I just saw one the other day where Don't use these guys under any circumstances. (laughs) Okay, good to know. And this was shipping out of Florida, USA. The guys were absolutely useless and screwed them around to no end. So go go onto the shipping database and check that out. And if anybody makes a shipment, please enter it into the database so that other travelers can benefit from that information. It's hugely valuable and can save an enormous amount of aggravation and point you into – uh, to somebody that's got their act together and it went well and you know how much it cost, It makes a big difference.
0: That, that's an incredible resource and make sure you send me a, a link for that because I'll add it to the show notes. So with sure. shipping, obviously, like you guys have said, the air tends to be a little bit more controlled as far as you'll know what you're going to end up paying. But um, by ship, you can, you got to look at some extra charges and certainly go to Horizons Unlimited and look at that webpage with the experiences other people have had with shipping the next one is uh, something Sam brought up: vaccinations. Um, Sam, what experience have you had with that? Where, as far as extra charges or what? What sort of money are we looking at?
2: Oh, well, I'm keeping vaccinations, quiet. Vaccinations. Uh, uh, what about you, Graham? What do you reckon about vaccinations, mate? Oh, pain in the ass.
3: Um, <laughs>
5: <laughs> Some of them, literally.
3: Um, I've only uh, the only. one I mean, you have your hip and your. Um, I don't know what you have. Your, uh, various things. Yellow fever was something for South America. They're not hugely expensive in the UK. have always had them before I've left. They haven't been a great expense. Um, no,
1: we didn't find them terribly expensive, but you've just got to make sure you've got them all because you don't want to get to a border and not have the vaccinations that they feel you need or, more importantly, you don't want to get one of the diseases that you should be protected from.
3: Well, this is it. I've got kind of a, a controversial... Opinion about the whole malaria thing. I mean, my parents were great travellers, although they did it in a very different way to what we did. Um, But they would do everything by the book and they'd stay in quite nice hotels. And they went to Africa, they did a safari in Africa, they'd taken their malaria tablets, you know, what is it, like four weeks before you leave and two weeks after you get home and all after a meal and every single day and all the rest of it, once, once a week and the other one every day. And my mother still managed to contract malaria, having taken all of the precautions. And uh, I won't go through the whole scenario. The point is the side effects. If you read the side effects on the malaria tablets, they cover pretty much everything from depression to death. And my own opinion, based on my own experience, is I don't bother with anti-malarials. They take up so much space. I'm one of those relatively lucky people who don't get bitten a lot, although I know it only takes one bite. But for me, I think in that, the, uh, in that situation, sometimes the disease is not as bad as the cure and, or the preventative uh, pills. And so for me, I don't take anti-malarials. I may change that if I ever get malaria. But um, having, got, having had a family member who took all the precautions and still – contracted it i therefore don't believe in it but the basic ones hep yellow fever those ones for sure of course you get those
4: well there's another one that's just new that i didn't even know about uh, it's not a vaccination but it's a preventive same idea uh is the thing called ducoral d-u-k-o-r-a-l it's a uh, a drinkable vaccination it's a drinkable vaccine uh that provides you with protection against diarrhea but, but like it only four. lasts
1: for a it only lasts for a month, Grant. It's not something that you would be able to take for your whole trip if you were ah, going for a long trip.
4: Not, well, not that's not quite what we understand. If you, you if you you get an initial one and then you take another batch a couple of weeks later and then you, you're good for five years. Oh, okay. If, if you do the double, And this <laughs> is what I understand. Then you you need to redo it, and when you take another one, I think at five years, then it's good forever in theory. Now, please check out the numbers of this because this is just popped into my mind because we just did this a month ago. And oh, this is very cool. Um, and they do say it's not perfect and it's not guaranteed, but it can reduce the risk significantly. And in our time in Panama, you, Panama is pretty good and we we don't do anything stupid. Um, but we had no issues whatsoever. So
3: See, I always I'm sorry, I, but I also have an opinion on this. With diarrhea, if you've eaten something, if there's something in your body that your body doesn't want in it, it's best for it to get out, however
4: well, uncomfortable we'll get out. it is. Well, Dukerol is not, does not prevent you. Um, does not stop you up. It's not like Imodium. Right. Don't take Imodium if you if you've got it. If you're in a nice hotel. To stop you up. You want to get no, it out. Absolutely. Exactly. I never
3: take modium. If there's something in there, it's got to come out.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I would take it if I had to travel because Oof. I had to be out of the country today. Uh, yeah. I would take emodium, But otherwise, no. Um, but Ducrol is is designed to it, – it's a vaccination. I mean, it's like saying you don't take a yellow fever vaccination or you don't take a Hep A vaccination. It's the same concept. It um, is, means that you don't absolutely- get affected by it.
5: This is absolutely fascinating for me. I hadn't heard about this. And it brings us back to what we started the show with, with people who have got medical issues. Now, for me, since I had my kidney transplant, um, I have to take um, a a series of drugs absolutely religiously because if I don't, I run the risk of my um, transplant rejecting and I'll lose it. And that would just be um, the the worst possible thing. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons that I'm not able to travel to developing world countries at the moment is because I can't afford to risk getting um, a really bad upset stomach because then I can't control what drugs are actually staying in my body. But with something like this, hmm, I'm going to check out and see whether I can take it.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be good. I was very impressed. My doctor just said, oh, this is, this is something you want to look at. And I said, I've never heard of it. What is this? So, yeah, hey, yes, take it. <laughs> check it out. Definitely worth looking at. Mm. But for the rest of them, um, I think you need to be careful and make sure you've got all the standard ones. Your travel medicine clinic, as opposed to your GP, is much better at giving you the right vaccinations uh, that are going to be suitable for where you're going. Uh, When it comes to malarials, I will disagree violently with Graham.
3: Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's fine.
4: uh, it's, it's actually worth going to, good old Horizons Unlimited, and searching for the malarial thread, which was a number of years ago, but went on and on and on and went to great length and huge discussion on the positives and negatives of anti-malarials. And the consensus was, yes, there are places where you absolutely want to take anti-malarials, and there are two basic kinds. And one of them, um, if I remember rightly, it's larium which is the one that Susan and I took on all our travels. And it gives you, it, it, one of its side effects can be, and this is can be, uh, that you have hallucinations and get all paranoid and all kinds of weird things. Yes, that is a potential side effect. However, what uh, we had a story of a guy who was in Africa. and He was taking the other medication, and he was getting paranoid and having hallucinations and all kinds of weird things, and everything got really strange. And we said, well, switch if that medication isn't working, switch to Larium. He says, Oh, that's the one that makes you paranoid and, and gives you hallucinations and things. Well, yes, that's a potential side effect, but one you're on is not working. Therefore, try something else. And he tried he, we convinced him to try the Larium, and he's happy as Larry. No problems, he's all fine, he was good, good to go. Um, and I think out of that is a lesson where for travelers is if whatever you're doing isn't working, do something different. And I think that's, that's a really big, important lesson that we learned the hard way, like everybody else does and a lot of other people have. But, yeah, be, be prepared to do something different.
3: So, yeah, I well, mean, I've met two different nationality people in two different countries who have had horrendous side effects from the anti-malarials they've been taking yep. i'm not Wait. telling people not to take anti-malarials All i'm saying is based on my own experience that's why i don't do it but you know make your own judgment based on your own research
4: yeah and i, I think the um, horrendous side effects i mean you you can tell within a few days or let's put it this way you can tell within a day of the side effects starting that you're having side effects right Uh,
3: Well, yes and no. I could tell she was having side effects. She didn't know she was having side effects because her hallucinations were so real she couldn't tell that they were hallucinations. Wow. Okay,
4: that's a pretty major hallucination. (laughs) Okay, so again, it comes back to if it's not working, do something different.
1: And make sure that you don't sit around a fire at night in a pair of shorts and a singlet and with no bug spray on and then wonder why you get eaten alive by mozzies.
5: Right. (laughs) A statistic not so long back used to be that malaria is the biggest killer disease in the world. I haven't checked it out for a while, but hey, if biggest oh, yeah. killer disease in the world, and malaria prophylactics, as I understood it, um, don't stop you getting malaria. What they do is that they lessen um, they they lessen the effects of malaria. So if you're getting um, the, the, the 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 you know the, the side effects of um, the results of malaria, such as fever and um, and so on. Then you've got more time to actually make it to a doctor so that you can be treated. Uh, maybe I've misunderstood this. The biggie is prevention in the first place.
4: Long, you know, long trousers, long sleeve, um, bug colors. spray on every, everywhere that's all, all closed. Yeah. and make sure you've got a good mosquito netting. Don't assume that there will be one there. Even the, I've seen mosquito nettings with more holes in than you can imagine. It's just they're useless. You've got to have your own mosquito netting, and you can get mosquito netting that has bug spray built into it yeah so you've got you've got to prevent 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 it
0: is. just pulling us back to the budgets that we're that we're, we're, <laughs> oh,
4: <laughs> we're help, concentrating on help. anyway you're gonna to have to spend money
1: <laughs> yeah you can't you you can't scrimp and save on vaccinations as you said earlier jim you're going on a bike trip where well, you have to have a bike so there's an expense if you're going to go to um obscure places in this world and even not so obscure places that have diseases that we don't have in our home country you need the vaccinations even down to rabies because you're on a bike chances are you're going to go through a village and some mad dog will chase you and try and bite through your your bike pants or whatever and if it's a rabid dog well you don't just don't want to have your trip ending like that so it's it's a it's a no-brainer just have to get them
0: yeah so and, and that's pretty easy to check out. You can check out which countries need vaccinations and then find out where you get yes. your vaccination, what, yes. the, what the costs are for it. So that oh, one's good. fairly straightforward and, and no real surprises there. Um, bike consumables, Sam brought this up, such as tires and things like that. That's for, sort of straightforward. You know what vehicle you're riding and, and what it's going to need. You can sort of do a rough estimate of how many miles you're going to get out of everything. Medications, um, Sam brought this up. If they need to be bought privately, Sam, you want to run with that?
5: Um, well, I mean, a, a lot of this we covered with um, what we were talking about in the first part of the show, with having the the right prescriptions and knowledge of what the generic names are and, oh, okay. um, if possible, making forward arrangements and having, um, as Shirley said, um, such a good tip, um, translations of um, the medications that you need. But also, I mean, hey, common sense comes in here. Allow yourself plenty of time because you just don't know how easy it's going to be to find them, so leave them until the last minute and you could be dropping yourself right in it.
0: Okay. So, yeah, we, we did cover a lot of that, but that's something you want to consider about um, as, as far as traveling. And, and like we'd, uh, we also talked about is how long you're going to be and how you're going to get your medications, things like that. But but so for, for budget, again, what the other thing that we have here on the list is, um, and this is from Sam as well, city accommodations and transport um, with dealing, getting your bike out of port. Um, that's what we talked about with Carnays. Um, would there be any other surprises there? I mean, that, that's really all, that's what you were referring to, right, Sam?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've met people who um, have been in countries where it's not cheap to stay in the city and their bike has been due in on the 2nd of April and three weeks later they're still being told, oh, don't worry, it'll be here in a couple of days. So they're having to hang around in this really expensive city and travelling backwards and forwards because people aren't emailing or answering telephone calls and having to go down to the docks and all of the hoo-ha and of doing that. And it can just burn a huge hole. And of course, you know, when you're in this situation, you can't push off and go travelling on a bus for for three weeks or rent a car necessarily because you've got to be there. Because if your bike arrives um, and you don't clear it within the set time, which can be a week, um, then you start paying storage fees and in port areas that can be really expensive. So it's well worth um, bearing that in mind when you're considering shipping. Um, that you can have these costs on top, which can be painful.
0: Okay, so we've we went through a pretty exhaustive list here. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some things that are left out, but I think it gives someone a good idea when they're planning a trip. The, the only thing that I was going to ask of you guys at this point was, are there any surprises, any things that we haven't talked about where you, you may have dealt with yourself or you've heard of someone else going on a trip and finding that there's been an expense that sort of blindsided them?
5: Yeah, beer.
1: Are you serious?
5: Oh, yeah. Wine in Norway. Budget breaker. (laughs) Do you know, in some developing world countries, um, the price of one beer is the equivalent to a whole day's good eating and sometimes two days' good eating. Beer is something to be very, very careful of. And, of course, as we know, once you've had one, then the other one tastes quite nice and then the third one tastes even better still and the fourth one, you stop thinking about how much it's costing you. You can burn through your budget very, very quickly. I know (laughs) Picasso.
0: That's a good tip. Valuable for beer. (laughs) And anything else as far as you know, if
1: you if you can't afford to um, go and see the sites, then maybe you shouldn't travel. And if you can't afford to buy a beer, I'm thinking maybe your budget's a bit too tight. Mm.
0: Yeah, so get some extra in there for all those type of things. And I I know that you guys have all said and you said in, in this episode as well about um, going somewhere and finding that you can't afford to buy whatever attraction it is. It's, it's sort of ridiculous. So you certainly want some sort of slush fund in there that you're going to draw from for those type of things, those attractions you'd, you didn't count on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
4: Too right. Um, the important thing I think to keep in mind here is that if your budget is that tight that you can't afford to have the beer you want, or you can't afford to see the sites, your trip is too big. Make a shorter trip concentrate on a country concentrate on a continent um stretch out the time so you're traveling more slowly therefore cheaper Uh, but adjust the trip so that you can do the things that are fun that are exciting that are worth doing that's why you're traveling is to do these things and if your budget is so tight that you can't do them don't go save your money and go when you can and then you can have a good trip and have it and enjoy it and make it worthwhile
3: yeah, I've not seen it so much among the sort of overland motorcycle community, but certainly years ago, as a backpacker, you would see people who would turn their trip into an endurance test, almost with a reverse snobbery of how cheap they could do it and how mm-hmm. desperately awful their journey was because they were doing it on such a small budget, What's the point? You know? exactly. What are you bragging about?
4: There's a no, lot I of people who do that with, with motorcycles you. too. There's a lot of guys who travel on motorcycles. So, there, and, the, and the point is, how cheaply can I do it? And that's a bragging point. That's not the point. The point is mm-hmm. to en- have an experience, to enjoy it, to come away with something that you've learned, you've seen, that, you've, that has changed you and made life better for you. And making it as hard as you possibly can just doesn't quite cut it for me. I just don't yeah. understand that.
5: I'm feeling a little bit defensive here because having spent eight years travelling around the world and having had an absolute ball doing it, except for my usual disaster mishaps, um, yeah, of course, we were, we were concentrating on travelling on a budget, but did it stop us doing the things that we wanted to do? No, it didn't, because the things that we were being careful with with our budget allowed us um, the freedom to do the things that, we, that were out of our normal budget, if you with me. So there you were don't. some countries where I had one beer, Um, Did I miss having beers? Yeah, from time to time I did. Did, When I treated myself to a beer, did I get the buzz out of it that I thought I was going to get? Well, no, not really. Um, Did I get the buzz out of the money that I'd saved by not buying beer, allowing me to go and see something spectacular? Yes, I did. And again, in the end, I think it just comes down to individuals, people working it out the way they want to. But my point about beer is that, you know, I have seen people who've ended up having to finish their trips early because they've been out and they've got pissed every night. And they don't remember um, the value out of getting pissed every night. Um, they just remember waking up in the morning and thinking, bloody hell, did I spend all of that? Mm-hmm. Wow. I was yep. supposed to be going climbing that mountain or scuba diving or whatever it was. Jeez, I can't do that now. And so that's that's the point that I'm making, not, not really being a party pooper, but just, you know, being careful with your money out there and thinking about those sorts of things, the frivolous things, allow you to do the things that you really want to be doing while you're out there rather yeah. than just dribbling money.
4: That's exactly yeah. what I was saying from a different, different angle. And I think that, that's really important to budget or spend in such a way that you can do the things you want to do. And you did that. By budgeting in the sensible places and not spending the money on in beer where it's stupidly expensive and so forth and i think that's absolutely perfect and that's what we're talking about
5: is i, I, I suddenly feel less defensive yeah yeah, <laughs> no way. yeah you're, you're,
4: absolutely i don't think you can be defensive at all i think you did it exactly right in that you did what you wanted to do and you spent money where you wanted to spend it and you had a great time and you didn't spend it where it wasn't going to give you any benefit and that's the secret it's like you say the guys that are getting pissed every night. That's like, and then they can't have a good time on their trip. That's
3: crazy. So you got to pay attention to that. I think if you want to brag about endurance and hardships, it's how hard you saved and how many hours you Mm -hmm. worked prior to your trip. That's where the endurance.
4: Yeah. I think it's critical to make that up, to do that up front. And I, am constantly telling people if you're, if you don't think you got enough money, don't leave now work another six months and then you will have enough money to do it in a way that you can enjoy and have that little extra cushion so that you're happy and comfortable.
5: It's so easy to earn money when you're at home in real terms, yeah. but it's so much harder when you're on the, on the road. Yeah.
0: We're running a little long here, so we should um, wrap things up. And, and that's really good. We had a ton of great information there. All right, so now for plugs. Graham, what do you got?
3: Oh, God, Jim, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> I have been waiting to do this plug for over a year all the other plugs have been very insignificant plugs compared to this plug this is the plug i've been waiting to tell you about because by the time you listen to this assuming that is that jim gets it takes his normal two weeks to edit it and he probably will tits wank then what i think it's going to be is as you hear this live my book, my first book, In Search of Greener Grass, is going to be available in North America. The big Fantastic. plus means that North Americans are not going to have to pay that outrageous amount of postage to have it sent from the UK. It's being published by road dog publications who have been on this show or at least been on the adventure rider radio part of this show and they've done several other people's travel books uh antonio Bolinbrook kent one that comes to mind and their book is slightly different format insofar as it has more pictures but they're black and white pictures but they are within context in the actual chapter rather than being in center pages in color And it's just been reworked. It has been read again and and copy edited again. So there's even less mistakes, which is making it really quite uh, spectacular and professional. But so the big thing is not only is it available from Road Dog, it will also be distributed to various other motorcycle travel book distributors. And I think... Because it's got, what, what are they called? Um, Congress, Library of Congress number. It means you can go into your Barnes and Noble and what have you, and you can say, I would like to order In Search of Greener Grass by Grayfield. And they say, oh, yes, certainly. It will be in, in, I well, know, a week or whatever. So that's my big news, my big plug. It is the first of three. Hopefully by the end of the year, all three will be available. But as of now, In Search of Greener Grass is available to North Americans. Da 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 da!
0: Very nice. I didn't know you had a book out.
3: Oh, did I not mention that? <laughs> so that's great.
0: Will it be, you said you can walk into a store and order. Does that mean it's going to be on the shelves as well or a possibility?
3: It will be on the shelves in a few select stores. Um, the distribution network isn't huge. Um, but so I don't think you're going to be walking into your Barnes & no, Noble's in Chicago and seeing it there. But um But they will at least be aware of it. It will be on their computer. They will be able to order it for you. So it will be significantly easier to get hold of it without those outrageous post and package costings.
0: In search of greener grass available in the United States. Now, is that Canada as well?
3: Um, possibly, I don't know if we do in little countries like that. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just keeps coming. <laughs> so, hang on. So, if somebody wants to order the book, or if they want to get the book, do they have to go into the bookstore, or is it somewhere else available in the states? would they can they get?
3: There are some other places, and I probably should have looked that up, but there are definitely some motorcycle book distributors. But the main thing is, and we'll probably put this link on at the end of the show, through Road Dog Publications, uh, it will definitely be available on their website, and that might be the quickest and easiest way. However, if you don't want to, if you're computer illiterate, which means you won't be listening to this show anyway, you can go into your bookstore, or your granny can go into the bookstore for your birthday and order it and get it that way. And, and, and when it says North America, yes, I'm sure America is included. But I doubt Mexico is. I mean, Canada, I mean, sorry, Canada is included. I <laughs> I always, get those too
4: confused, always get those two confused. Now, what about Amazon is my big question. Is it available uh, well, on
3: Amazon.com? I'm not sure how that's going to work. Uh, I should know that, Grant. It's a really good question. I'll have that for next month's plug. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Okay, because there's also Amazon.ca as well.
3: Is there? I mean, I know all the, uh, the it's on all of those as an ebook, but I don't know. I think oh, I'd be guessing if I said yes or no. I should find that out. It's a really good idea. Yeah. Okay, we'll check with me anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Good plug and nice to know that it's not the same version. I think that's kind of cool that it's all changed around. You've got some additions to it. I like that. And I really like the idea that the photos are mixed in with a story. I know that's not always possible in books, but I do like that.
3: Well, it was yep. a, it's a great advantage. I mean, I personally, I like color photos. However, having the black and white ones certainly in context within the, within the text and the reproduction is incredible. I was looking at these on the PDF. And I was noticing detail that I'd sort of forgotten about from when I was actually there. So I think it's a really good reproduction quality. So um, I didn't have a choice in that; it has to be black and white. That's the format of the of the printers. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's and, and there's more photos as well because they're black and white. You're not limited. So uh, yeah. Oh, and it's got a foreword by two. Um, two two people you may have heard of um, uh, a guy who also rode a motorbike and wrote and um, wrote a couple of books called Ted Simon and someone else a little bit closer to us called Sam Manicom.
0: Very nice, but you, you're <sighs> like I mean, you're really in the big leagues now. I tell you, getting uh, forwards like that. But anyway, on to Sam. What do you have for a plug, Sam?
5: Uh, Well, um, first of all, I I just want to quickly say congratulations to Graham because I think that's a magic achievement. That's a really special thing to have been able to make happen. Um, So good on you, mate.
6: Thank
5: you. Um, Promo for me. Right. Okay. Well, um, I've got a really busy time coming up in the United States this year. Um, I'm going to be touring parts of the West doing presentations and the first one happens at overland expo just outside of flagstaff in arizona this is a huge event it's three days very buzzy um 12 13 14th of may and the reason that i'm mentioning um these events now is because it gives people a chance to get them into their calendars this is the ninth year that overland expo has happened and this year it's a brand new venue i'm really looking forward to seeing what the score is with it because they normally pick pretty good spots Um, What's happening? Well, it's an event for 4x4 and overland um, truck drivers and for overlanding and adventure motorcyclists. And it's three days of training, classes, presentation, off-road driving, gear, films and just, well, loads of stuff. Um, People um, can do a Google for that. So I I really enjoy it. And this will be my um, third or is it fourth year going? Um, The next event is happening up in um, uh, West Oregon BMW in Portland. And I, they've um, they're hosting me for a presentation event on the 19th of May so I've got a bit of a scurry to get from um, Flagstaff up to um, up to Portland. I don't normally ride that quickly, so it's going to be interesting um, and this is going to be fun because there's a really good chance that a chap called John will be there. Now, if any listeners have um, read or listened to my first book, Into Africa, then they'll know that John is the guy who was riding pillion when that awful accident happened in Tanzania and I barely escaped being raped in jail and um, accused of murder and all sorts of things. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be really, really good to link up with John. He's quite a character. So um, I hope he does make it. It's on the cards. The next event is at Westside Motorsports in Spokane in Washington, And this presentation event is happening on June the 2nd. It's already lining up to be very interesting. I gather zebra stripes come into it somewhere along the line, but I'm waiting for more details on that. Um, There's just a chance there's going to be one happening the weekend of the 9th and 10th of June, but that's still bubbling in the pot, so I'm not going to say any more on that at the moment. My final presentation event is going to be at um, a new company on the scene, They're called ADV Mototech, and they're in Glendale, just to the north of Los Angeles. Um, And I think it's going to be a cracking way to to end the the, the tour. Um, Ryan, the boss, he's one of these most um, hospitable, accommodating people. He's good fun to deal with. Um, Anyway, the details are all being confirmed on my website as we go along and on my Facebook page, too. And it'd be fantastic to get a chance to link up um, with listeners. Um, if they're in the areas of these events, so that's Flagstaff, Portland, Spokane, um, and um, Glendale in LA.
0: Very nice. Wow, that's a that's a busy time you've got. How long are you going to be in the States?
5: I'm going to be in the States for about five weeks. Um, Funny enough, I've just booked my flights today, which was very entertaining. Was my internet Wi-Fi dropping out on me all of the time? I've probably booked ten flights, so I might be flogging someone on eBay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Grant, what do you have for us?
4: We've got lots of fun. Uh, we have 25 events this year. And it's just kind of blowing our mind how many we've, we've got. We're a couple of new events. Russia, uh, for those who haven't heard, Russia is happening June 23 to 25. We have Indonesia. Some of you will recall Jeffrey Polnaya, who spent, I think, seven or eight years riding around the world on his ride for peace from Indonesia. He's hosting an Indonesia HU Travelers Meeting, May 18 to 21. So those are two big new ones. Uh, of course, we've got all the Hums, the Hum Monashies, Hum Appalachians back east, uh, August 11 to 13, the Monashies, July 28 to 30, and um, Hum Hispania. That's going to be a, a good one. We're looking forward to getting over to Spain again. That's October 2 to 5. So have a look at horizonsunlimited.com slash events and check out all the events. There's probably one somewhere. I think we're on like five continents this year.
3: It's um it's a little daunting, the, uh, it's going to be the, uh, the Bulgarian one was just confirmed as well, Grant, I think, for the weekend around the 1st of July. <gasps> I hadn't heard that yet. Okay, that's 26. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Grant, that's absolutely phenomenal. Just think about what bad influence everybody's being with all of these events. Excellent. Oh, we love it.
4: We love it. And, and the best part is that all of them started by somebody saying, hey, I want to have a traveler's meeting in my country. What what, what do I have to do? And we talk to them, we set it up, and we get them informed, we inspire them, we help them figure out what to do, we work with them on location, get it all started. But it all comes down to it's all volunteers who say, I want to have a traveler's meeting here, and they make it happen. So it's kudos to all our amazing crew of volunteers for us, it's like having about 100 bosses. You know, somebody says, hey, we're getting go started here. I need this information. Right. So Susan and I got to scramble and get what they need. So it, it's really inspiring that that number of people are excited enough and inspired enough by what we're doing to actually put in some work and make it happen to inspire their friends and their people in their part of the world. It's, it's, um, it's really humbling
5: for us. Grant, I've just had a thought. I would love to know how many people have been to a Horizons Unlimited event since you started, what, 15 years ago? 2001.
4: 17 years. 2001 in our backyard in Slough was the first one.
5: And that was the only one in the UK that I missed up until last year. But um, I would love to know how many people have actually got out on the road as a result of having been to a Horizons Unlimited meet. Yeah, I it would like be to know that. A lot.
4: I think so. It, you know, I keep seeing pictures with, there's an HU sticker on the bike. And the only place they get those stickers is by going to an event or ordering a DVD. Of course, if they order a DVD, they, we give them the sticker too. But basically, they were at an event. So that's, that's really cool to see. So whenever you see one of those HU stickers, that guy probably was at an HU meeting somewhere.
0: Grant, is this the first one in Russia ever?
4: First one ever in Russia, yes. Very cool. And the first one in Indonesia. Um, Bolivia is new this year as well. I forgot Bolivia. Yes. Bolivia is just a mini meeting. It's just a little one, but that's April 21 to 23. So that's our first one there. Uh, Switzerland. Yep. Susan just reminded me. Switzerland is new this year, August 25 to 27. Um, Montenegro is back. Ireland, Hub UK, of course, June 15 to 18. Um, Brazil was just this last weekend. I don't know. There's so many. And of course, go to horizonslimited.com slash
0: events. That's what I was going to say. The, the website, horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events. And of course, we'll put yeah. a link in the show notes.
4: Cool. The other thing I want to mention is I mentioned this last show uh, that it was coming, but it is here now. All the Horizons Unlimited Achievable Dream Adventure Travel Guide is now available for download and streaming on Vimeo. Vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited. It's all there.
0: Very cool. It, it is the way that people are going now, isn't it? I mean, people do want to find sure. stuff online and, and get it immediately. And, and I th- the, the, the interesting thing you said last time was that um, some countries you have problems shipping to. And for them, oh, it's, it's imperative.
4: It's. Yeah, we've been getting uh, it's been interesting. It's been out now almost a month and we've had orders from places like Russia where we wouldn't even consider sending a DVD to um, places like Malaysia, South Africa, um, Nigeria, um, Few other odds and ends of countries. There's there's quite a selection of places that people are now saying, "Oh, I can download this. Cool!" And boom, it's done. It comes down, and, and all of the uh, downloads, by the way, are available in HD. Whereas the DVD series was done in standard definition, so you're getting even better quality and resolution than the original DVD series.
0: Oh, very, you guys filmed it all in HD to begin with.
4: Yes, we did it all in HD. Well, there's a few snippets here and there that are not in HD. Um, filming the forwards in samoa was uh, done in standard definition for instance but the rest of it's all hd
0: brian and shirley what do you have
2: yeah i don't have one no i'm bereft of uh, thought in that regard of some other issues uh, going on um but i've got to say um i'm slowly but surely convincing my wife that we need to do another motorcycle trip.
1: Yes, I think Yay. the chances are we'll see you, you European <laughs> mob, we'll see you in uh, next year.
2: Mm-hmm. I the, Isle Man, the Isle of Man TT, I think, is uh, um, coming together pretty well. So uh, hopefully we can get over there and see you guys.
3: Does that mean yeah. there might be a
2: vacant house available in Australia?
1: <laughs> Would you like to do a house swap, Graham?
3: Yeah, I can feed we your cats thought- if you feed mine.
1: Yeah, it sounds fair. Yeah. I actually thought it'd be good to catch up with you, but if you want to just see our house, that's okay.
4: We could do an overlap.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could have an overlap. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and you need to budget so in make what-
4: sure you schedule for Hub UK there, Brian
2: and Shirley. Well, let's see how we go. But uh, that's in the planning stages at this, this
0: point. Cool. Well, that wraps things up then. I guess um, we're going to have our after show party. I'm going to suggest oh. here we've got the Barbie going. Jim, yeah.
3: Are you going to do that little bit where you say, has anybody else got anything they want to add?
0: Well, I was, but like <laughs> we're already like pushing. To, I think I'm going to be three weeks editing this piece, but all right, hang on. Does anyone else have anything to say?
3: No, not me.
0: <laughs> well, that's it. Well done, Greg. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Till next month. <laughs> See you, guys. Cheers.
3: Bye. No, sorry, thanks. Have a nice day. Bye.
0: Ah, uh, Graham. Well. That wraps up Raw for March 2017. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jim Martin. And don't forget, you can listen to all of our episodes for free. Just drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. You can listen to Raw on there, and you can listen to our normal Adventure Rider radio. So remember, they're two different shows. you got to subscribe separately. They're not going to cost you anything to subscribe. But if you do like what we're doing and do want to help out, we accept donations. matter of fact, donations help fuel the show. It's a balance of uh, advertising and donations that make it all happen. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the donate button. We got a bunch of different ways, as I said at the start of the show. That's it. That wraps it up. Until next month. Hey, don't forget, we're also on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you're on Facebook. Everybody is. You know, go to Facebook, search for Adventure Rider Radio, give our page a like, and uh, send us your comments. It's a great way to keep connected. My name is Jim Martin. See you next month.